everyone, and welcome back once again to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host today. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, we have the full crew here once again. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chowman Wu. How's it going? Adam Vitali. Hello. And Josh Torres. I'm alive. Yeah, welcome back, Josh. Welcome back, Chow. And um, you, uh, I came back from my um, overseas trip last week. We are nearing the end of summer. We are going into fall. We're going into the busy game season. Uh, you know, American football has started up. I think I have like five or six games that I have installed that I'm in the middle of that I'm trying to play through. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. PAX West just wrapped up. Tokyo Game Show is just around the corner. So it's a busy time of year. There are rumors of a impending nintendo direct we don't know anything but i wouldn't be surprised if it shows up on middle of the week and then we have a shit ton to talk about next week so it's exciting times we have a lot going on so we mentioned last week as he was out that um josh was able to basically be our boots on the ground for everything going on at PAX West over the weekend. And lots of different uh, sorts of RPG and RPG-adjacent news coming out of that for some big titles as well as some indie games. And Josh has been basically very busy throughout, ever since, you know, during the event and after, covering all sorts of things up on the site. His his byline has showed up several times over at RPGsite.net. And I kind of, uh, in our little notes to ourselves here, I put in a bunch of headlines, all the things that Josh has looked at, uh, in no particular order, mainly the order that you you published them, Josh. But basically, I just kind of want to start out just um, obviously for finally coming out of the strange times of the of the of the COVID era. Uh, first time in a while, I believe, for you to do something in person like this. Just so, how how was uh, PAX West? I don't know if you had been before. How was it uh, being able to do that? It was my first PAX, and it was like a really really good. I really enjoyed my time with it. Um, so, you know, first time going to downtown Seattle and it's kind of, it's a really nice place, but it's, everything is like walkable there, but there's a lot of like steep inclines (laughs) in it at some parts of town, which was interesting. It's like kind of going up a roller coaster at some points and I'm like, all right. How was was Uh, parking? Um, I Ubered, so Uber. uh, I, I, I yeah, forget why, but I remember I was possible. there for something, and like, there's if from my experience, there's like a bunch of small little tiny lots kind of scattered around the downtown. You got yeah, yeah, I saw them here and there. Uh huh. The, like, you know, so. There's like I couldn't, I didn't see like a big parking garage or anything like that. Just a bunch of little lots that you know you just pay for the day or whatever. The the structure of the convention center and like how they laid it out was it. it it's strange, but I guess somewhat intuitive by the time I like I was leaving everything. So how the convention center was split up is there's this central building called the Arch, and uh, right th- and it's kind of like a a multi uh, multi floored structure, thinking like maybe three to four floors up, and then there's a there's a bridge to like another building that I never entered. I th- uh, I forgot what it was called because I think it was like the annex or something, but I never entered that building. I always entered the Arch, and. Um, the third floor of it was where the main expo was where I guess it was originally all together. But then there was another building called the Summit where you had to basically go around the block across from the um, Arch building and that's where you'd find the Summit building. It's like a barely, you know, five to seven minute walk. 
there, so it's not a big deal. But it was just, it, but that the, there's like another half of the whole expo that's there, uh, where they're just like you know other publishers, other games. This is where um, Larian was, Bandai Namco, um, and all sorts of other publishers uh, were uh, there. While the the annex building, or the, I mean, sorry, the arch building, um, they had. Exceed there, Sega Atlas, uh, and so forth, and so, uh, several indie developers there. So there's not no really rhyme or reason of hey, big publishers here, smaller publishers there. It was kind of evenly spread out on that end. And and the Summit Building was even stranger because the expo portion was in the basement of that building. Like you went down as soon as you entered, you went through like a checkpoint. And then you actually went down to go to the expo instead of going up, uh, uh, unlike the previous building. So it was a, it took a little bit to kind of wrap my head around the structure of it, but it was all pretty intuitive, and the signage was very good on where to go uh, there. So for me, who's usually bad with directions, I somehow found my way around, um, which is probably good. Yeah, and I had I had a couple comments like it's I, the last time I was in Seattle for PAX I believe it was 2016, which part of me is still like not that long ago. Oh wait, that's <laughs> like seven years ago, <laughs> so it'll be eight years if I go next year or whatever. Um, but I remember uh, a couple things. First of all, the the inclines. You are right. I remember like if you head I believe west towards like the Pikes Place Market or whatever, you're, it's like a very a relatively steep downhill incline, <laughs> um, and then. If I remember right, at least at the time, like it's it's very typical for these events, E3 included, to have like a main footing at the convention center. Um, I guess more on E3 later. Uh, um, a main a main kind of footing at the convention center, and then they have like nearby hotels. People will like rent out lobbies or rooms or etc. Uh, but if I remember right, in Seattle there are there are two Hiltons like within a few blocks of the convention center, and it wasn't always clear like which one like place people were at i think the last time i was there final fantasy 15 had a big showing and i all i knew is that there that was at the hilton i was like which one and i might be getting some of the details wrong but i remember it wasn't clear which hotel they were in so i'm glad that the signage was at least very clear this time uh for that and also i remember the last time i was there there was i met up with someone local who had a car and we tried driving around a bit and it sucked uh, we thought just oh, like yeah, take, them, yeah. take the metro or simply just walk. If it was like a twenty minute walk, it was better than driving. Just I remember that just being like, and I've and I've lived and worked in places with terrible uh, with terrible. Everyone says that the driving in their city is the worst, right? Uh, so I mean they're all equally bad. But I, I mean it was very walkable, you know, inclines notwithstanding. But uh, I'm jealous, and I'm I'm hoping that I'll get a chance to go like within the next couple of years or so. Yeah, but... I'd, I'd love to see you know, uh, you know uh, us kind of doing more of these like in person like uh, sort of events like you know obviously more of us like summer games fests, uh, more of us mm. at the packs like kind of more of these sort of events. It's really cool and just like being covering them with other people. Obviously, from the same outlet makes for a better experience <laughs> because there's so many th- things to go. You know, as, as James is also familiar with that doing these mm-hmm. events solo is really fun and it's cool to see but you kind of get very little downtime to for kind of just doing other stuff and you can't you... and you can't like delegate tasks or, yeah. or things like yeah, that. yeah it, it it really takes a lot out of you so like uh definitely coming from uh from the other person that's been doing a lot of that this year mm-hmm. uh, i feel your pain <laughs> yeah so you know but it, hopefully but we'll get there you know as, as time passes yeah. 
Well, at near, I believe it was near the end of the podcast last week, Josh. We talked. Um, James obviously is going to TGS, and yep. turn, turns out, and unless something's been updated since then, uh, he's going to be flying solo there. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, I I don't know, but I don't know how you're going to do it, James. Uh, best wishes, best luck. Uh, if you if you have any questions. Uh, the good news. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that I have answers, but maybe yeah. I can refer to someone that has answers. Yeah. The good news is, is that a lot of the games that I would have played, you actually played them at PAX. That's so good. my load has been decreased significantly, which uh-huh. means that I'm looking at mostly like Capcom stuff, like obviously um, nothing from Square Enix because he got that covered. And they're not actually going to have Dragon Quest Monsters 3 playable unless there's something behind closed doors, but I don't know that yet. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll, I think that the best person from our staff to ask about this is Kite, because Kite's been there for us before, so he would know. Yeah, and Kite, Kite actually, um, well, we had this earmark to talk about later in the podcast, but I can at least introduce it now. Um, a feature was up on the site where Kite basically compiled all of the announced developer live streams or platform holder live streams that are going on during TGS, like Xbox recently announced they're going to have trying to have a Japanese focus show, you know, good on them to try to keep a, a foot in that ecosystem. Uh, I wonder Capcom's. if that Xbox stream is where we're going to see more of metaphor. Be funny. Yeah, because that's because they've been trying to really push as like the announcement exclusivity, which silly as it is, if we just get more information, that's fine. Yeah, because Atlas mentioned that they're going to have a show, but they're going to be talking about Persona 3 Reload and 5 Tactica. They didn't mention Metaphor, so I don't know if you're right. That's going to show up at Xbox. Um, Dragon Sogma 2 is likely going to be mentioned. Uh, I forget a few of the others, but I'll pull that up when we get to that uh, when we get to that announcement. But yeah, and that'll be at the end of September, so not next week, but uh, like two and a half weeks from now. Two weeks from now. So yeah, uh, I guess we'll just kick this off then with um, with Josh. Just you had you had the opportunity to talk to developers from all sorts of games, uh, some big, some small, yeah, and just kind of kind of what kind of what you wanted to talk about first. Yeah, I'll just give a basic rundown of like what what, what I did. So be, before doors even opened, the day before, I met with Curve Games, pub, uh, a publisher, um, at the Westin Seattle, which is about like, five to seven minute walk away uh, from the convention center, and I got to check out uh, For the King Two. And Dungeons of Hinterburg there, uh, both re- really fun times uh, there. Got a hands-on demo with both of them. It was cool chatting with the For the King two developers because in the, it's a very RPG-centric game, uh, obviously. And the the first one was kind of a cult phenomenon, but a lot of people liked playing with their friends and other people. It was a good like a multiplayer RPG. So I kind of I, I wrote down you know a, a lot of what I learned and what I saw there at my uh, For the King 2 write-up. It was funny because after they sort of showed me kind of the demonstration they wanted to do, just kind of giving a basic um, breakdown of what the game had in store, uh, they gave me hands-on on, like, this defense mission. And after, like, I survived a, a bad ambush on my very first encounter and was able to kind of mop that up and stabilize things... They, they were like, oh, you know how to play an RPG. You know that RPG is more than an attacking. You can actually buff and reposition and debuff. Like, yeah, I know. No way. I'm, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. Right? Um, so they put me on what they called the advanced demo. I'm like, sure, all right. And it was a, a much later game uh, portion of the game. It was like this gambling den dungeon with, you know, higher levels, more skills to work with. And I actually did pretty decently. They were pretty impressed of like how well I was doing through that. I 
It wasn't too big of a challenge. Uh, and then it sucked, but like at the very end, I got it to the boss, and you know, it was a pretty weird, dicey situation, but uh, my, my time with them just ended right before I was about to deal with the boss. But I think this... The, the, I... I was I was very surprised at how much I really enjoyed playing that game in the brief amount of time that I did. I think it's way more tactical than it, it initially lets on, and it's uh it'd be a great you know just like the first game, the uh, great time with friends, and getting that fourth player in there really shook shook things up. So that I think was for the king was kind of like one of those like sneaky popular games. I remember a lot of my guildmates from my Guild Wars 2 guild, when the first game came out, they put so much time into that. And I go to the Steam page and it has like 25,000 very positive reviews. Like it's one of those games that like cultivated an audience for a really kind of interesting, not quite like a tabletop RPG simulator, but having some of the same sort of vibe uh, as that. And just having like a really good time just going out with i believe at the time for the first game it was a three-person party for the second game it's a four-person party mm-hmm. uh, i don't quite i don't quite remember the yeah, details yeah, second, but... yeah yeah so the first game so... only had three players and then fourth game i was second game will have up to four players yeah mm-hmm. so and then dungeons yeah. of hinterberg was mm-hmm. this was recently announced in the summer showcase for xbox uh as the at the xbox 23 2023 showcase and i remember at the time obviously at the time we all we had was like an announcement trailer uh kind of like a cell shaded zelda like look to it and whenever those these little kind of interesting indie or double a projects obviously it's got microsoft backing so i don't know if like you'd say indie but um uh, always, we always kind of put out some polite, like, yeah, we'll keep an eye on this. So it's really kind of cool when we can follow through and say, like, yep, it had an appearance at PAX, and we kept an eye on it. So uh, tell us about Dungeons of Hinterberg. Yeah, so I, I you know, I was talking with the Curve Games representative uh, there, uh, showing off the demo and talking about the developers, uh, and uh, the, it's kind of an interesting team because they were founded in 2020 and uh, they're stationed at um, uh, Vienna, Austria. And um, so the game takes place at the Austrian Alps, and the developers about ten to, consists of about ten people at that studio. And I was very impressed because this is kind of this is their first debut project for the game, and it's like it really makes so it stands out visually already. And it, the the premise of the game is really uh, neat because it's about these twenty five magical dungeons uh, that kind of surround this town of Hinterberg, and you play as this. Um, adventurer who's on a vacation who wants to check out these uh magical dungeons so like because of the because of these magical dungeons popping up like it it sort of has like an international appeal to adventurers to go check them out and venture into them so it's a it's a third person action rpg um where you uh it's separated by in-game days where you can spend a day either uh going to one of four overworlds and trying to find a dungeon there or you can spend it in town and either uh, do something on your own, like go to a cinema to uh, raise your attack damage, or um, spend it with someone else and um, you know, kind of almost raise their social link almost uh, to get a gameplay benefit. Like at the at the demo that I played, I spent time time with the ice cream lady and my dodge stamina uh, went up because I spent time with her. Because uh, in this game, you can't like freely spam dodges like you would in sort of uh, bayonetta almost. You do have like a dodge stamina where it consuming um a, you, when you dodge it consumes a bar of your stamina so so it can only yeah. be like up to two or three times before you uh fully deplete that gauge so you have your standard light and heavy attacks you have abilities and each of the four overworlds has two unique abilities that um your character louisa 
as so in the in the gamescom footage she had this tornado that she could summon and ride on to go over these sort of the spiky paths and thorny vines uh, while in this demo um she had this sort of wrecking ball that she could summon to make it explode uh uh, when you see like cracked uh, surfaces, and also she can uh, fling out this like ball and chain that could hit like further targets that might affect some part of the environment. So the the game is uh, very much exploring these environments. There's some environmental puzzles. Um, the the dungeon that I went to was like in this cavern area, which is very minecart focused, where you have to reroute minecart tracks, ride them, avoid obstacles, um, and so forth. Uh, it's 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 it controls really nicely. I, I do dig that it's not like too flashy or spammy. It's kind of it's very efficient with the the way that it it uses um, visual effects. So things are very readable when you're in combat. It's not like visual effects all over the place to make it look flashy. It's very efficient that sort of things. And it was cool because I was a- asking about what sort of you know the the each of the enemies has like these masks on them, and like the boss enemy has like this distinct mask. On them, so I was wondering, uh, like, why the emphasis on mass, and that's because the the creatures you fight are based off of uh, Austrian mythology, where they uh, every December in Austria they almost sort of like an event that kind of resembles Halloween, where uh, people put on costumes and masks of uh, of like creatures from Austrian mythology and go to town and kind of you know kind of celebrate the, that hol- that holiday or that uh, that, that mythos. Uh, there, so that's where they uh, got it from. I'm like that's that's pretty cool, you know. It's, it's you know Austria is uh, and uh, is not really a place that you see often in video games. So seeing that each of the overworlds in um, Dungeons of Hinterburg actually does, does represent like a biome that's in Austria. So that that was neat to see, and I, I'm it, really... it's always cool to see games like use inspiration that's a little bit less well-worn like you mm-hmm. know greek gods roman gods um norse gods or or mythology well represented but then like i think back to shin Megami tensei 5 where they had demons inspired at, across the gamut from like both like west virginia folklore to yeah exactly the split snake lady yeah, yeah. and just yeah. like this, yeah. I, not quite the same thing but it reminded me of that where you know <laughs> there's so many stories and cultures that and uh, another one that just came up was um columbia with chris tales uh mm-hmm. when that which adam covered that was like two and a half three years ago at this point but always cool to see you know as more people get into the development space from you know vienna or columbia or wherever that they're going to put their culture and their stories in, in either directly inspired or loosely inspired into their into their projects and their stories yeah so um so for our first day of PAX, uh doors open about an hour early for for media. So I got to explore the show floor a little bit before you know everyone else was let in and I was like, okay, what what's probably the booth that's probably gonna get swamped the most immediately? So I went to Sega Atlas uh mm-hmm. right there. And then okay, I, I had a split decision here and maybe I don't I don't know if I chose wrong, but uh, but I was either gonna do Either Persona Five Tactica or Like a Dragon Gaiden for my first game, um, and I went with Like a Dragon Gaiden to because you know I was I, I miss Kiryu, so mm-hmm. I, I I went to go check that demo out. It's a very brief demo. Um, it's all of them had like fifteen minute time limits hard coded into the demo, um, but you got to check out the the new agent style with Kiryu, and it's very 
it's stupid, funny, and dumb in the ways that Yakuza is. So uh, you, I was gonna say that sounds that sounds just right. You know, yep. uh, absolutely appropriate. Yes. Yeah, so you, you got to check out like his new tools with it, like that, that little wire tap where you kind of you hold down a button to activate them, and then you can like fling them around with the the wire scale. You can summon drones. Um, uh, the, one of his funniest moves in it is so he can he has like jet propelled boots or shoes in it, so you can actually just like hold down like a button to kind of activate like these jet boots and he'll just ram into people as you're moving around with it. Um, and also he can like throw a cigarette that's like a mine for people to just like go over and explode. Um, so, yeah. And we saw and what was it what were the two things in like the initial footage? There was like the drone swarm and then like the Spider-Man tether web tether. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, they got, and, and it's it's back to no agent the, stuff. Yeah, it's, but it's back to you know the beat 'em up sort of, uh, you know style that uh, people like mm. from the old pre Yakuza Seven uh, games. So the 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 movement uh, kind of, is a little bit faster. It kind of reminds me of Lost Judgment a little bit in terms of like how it flowed. But it was it was nice. It was it was great. And then you were just like in this uh, kind of like this almost red district area with a lot of like mini games that you can do dress cure you up. So you know I've had to go check out you know what they had. They had like the the sort of gambling. Uh, places, casino. Uh, I did like you know. I just kind of peeked in on them to see what they had. Then um, I, I went to the the hostess cafe, and uh, they, you know they only had one option. But it's kind of weird. they don't use in-game models for the hostesses in this game. They actually it's like almost like a it's an FMV this time around. So you see them like the real life actress, like like in an FMV style. You're interacting with them, and they kind of you can tell that's like playing a pre-recorded video based on um, hmm. the choices that you make in it so it, it was kind of i was like all right i guess sure <laughs> why not um and then i've had to go um you can go to like a sort of like a, a place where you can just dress up carry you with whatever cosmetic items you have like you can kind of set like his casual costume is like his battle costume i guess so like if you're in the call you like wear something else if you if you so choose it was kind of whatever you can choose a whole a whole bunch of options of what you want to if you want to make Kiryu barefoot you can do it okay that's what i'm getting at if you're really uh, like asking for like hey i really want to play a yakuza game where i play Kiryu barefoot this is the game yeah whatever floats your boat yeah so and then that's are when they, are they still I... kind of marketing this game as a like a kaito files like like forty like i don't i don't want to say like budget game but like the like a like the forty dollar quote unquote game i, I think, think they I, kind of still are right yeah, it's it's gonna be longer than Kaito Files. It's still like a full fledged Yakuza, but it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be as long as like Yakuza Seven or something. I think it's back to like what you expect in the length of like say Yakuza Two or Yakuza Three. I imagine. Yeah, two, uh, three, six, not four yeah. or five. Yeah, not four or five, <laughs> especially um, not five. Please, not five. Oh god. <laughs> um. So yeah. So it's gonna be uh, you know a call back to you know, people who enjoyed sort sort of those shorter Yakuza experiences. You know, it's nice to have one of those once in a while. Um, so I didn't actually get to the Coliseum. My 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 time limit ran out before I actually got to like the Coliseum part. <laughs> like, oops, I didn't like because it doesn't show the timer. I didn't even know there's a timer. Um, so after that, I uh, I checked out Persona Three Reloads on the remake of Persona Three. They, it was interesting because they had like two modes, like a new moon and full moon mode that I described in my write up for it. Where new moon is more for like newer players who aren't familiar with Persona. And uh, the full moon uh, time skips you to May 9th, which is the, the, the night of like the first full moon 
boss that you go against the Arcana Priestess on the monorail um, sort of stuff. <clears throat> it, it looks really, really nice, you know, in the same way. It's obviously designed in the same vein as Persona 5. Um, runs really well. Uh, and, the, and obviously the new thing in battle is they, they sort of have the baton pass from Persona 5 in it with the shift feature. So if you, uh, hit an enemy weakness or hit them with a, uh, uh, a critical, anything that gives you like a, one more, um, you can choose to still do that same character's turn or you can pass it over to someone else um, right away and uh, for them to continue uh, assaulting the enemy. And um, uh, th- this kind of is interesting because um, in Persona 3, like a lot of people back then sort of had trouble with managing SP. Um, so in this way, you have more, you're, you can more carefully control the party's SP um, by just distributing, you know, who's doing what uh, in there. So it's, um, and, and then there's like some minor changes with the way that um, very, very small details of Persona 3 is in that por- portion of the game. Like, it's in. I, I was like rewatching footage of the original how they handled this. Like for example, in the monorail, there's a part where Junpei goes ahead. So you fight some battles with the MC and Yukari. You meet up with Junpei, and then at eight limit ta- uh, time limit begins, and so you have to like beat like the boss within that eight minutes. Once you go get up to it, um, while in this one, that time limit doesn't time limit doesn't start till you get to the Arcana Priestess boss. Um, and, uh, it's, it's like, it starts at 30 minutes, which is weird, but then throughout the fight, as you're doing it, she'll, like, kind of fuck up the environment even more to, and, like, accelerate that, that timer countdown, which is, is not how it was in Persona 3, originally. I kind of like that idea. That that just seems, like, kind of fun and immersive, in a way. Yeah, yeah. So that, 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 I was like, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen in the original, and sure enough. Um, so that was, that, that was neat to see, uh, my, I got the MC killed uh, in it just to like reconfirm that like yeah you still get a game over uh, if your main character dies. Uh, so that was a, a a fun thing I didn't mean to experiment with. I was like okay sure. <laughs> and so that so that that was my time. It's it's a, like I want I want to play it for sure. Like if there's like more of these like these changes here and there, I kind of want to see them and see how they do that then. Because um, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. So that, that it, it was it was fun. Um. Since I still haven't played Persona Five, is the MC game over thing still true there, or is that removed? It's still there. Yeah. So okay. yeah. So the Persona Three MC dies. That it, it, the automatic game over right there. Yeah. So yeah. No, it was I think it was, uh, was that the case in Persona Five? I honestly. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In Persona Five, I believe your once your MC dies, it is a game over. Yeah, it's right? definitely a thing in Persona Five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I wouldn't have it any other way. Just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't. As long, as long as I can control the characters, I know some people say like, "Nah, you know, back back in my day, we couldn't mm-hmm. control the party." But uh, I like controlling them. I mean, if people want to still do that, you can still do that. Persona Three Reload. You just have to just just like in Portable, you just adjust their AI behaviors. Ah, uh, okay. So you can still there's still that thing where like if you want to automate their turns, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I went to go uh, check out this um, indie game called World of Kung Fu. Um, it's by a develop a Chinese developer, Chili Room. They actually traveled from China to go uh, exhibit cool. their game at PAX West. So uh, the, yeah, I was speaking with them about their game. It's a it's a, it's a turn based grid style um, wuxia, uh, obviously uh, from the from the game's title, very martial arts inspired. 
Um, I, I was a little bit flattered uh, because the developer actually like read my Armored Core article at the site, you know, before meeting with me. I was like, oh my god, thank you, you know? <laughs> like, so actually we talked, we talked about Armored Core for a bit before like, <laughs> talking about their game, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it was funny. And it was great. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it's definitely, like, they ever got the English localization. I believe it's like an early access subform on Steam, like in, the, in Chinese. Um, so, you know, it's a very open-ended style, non-linear, sort of um, Ch- Chinese turn-based uh, RPG, um, where at a very, after a very brief intro, you can study under, like, one of four masters across China for a certain, to achieve a certain Kung Fu style. Um, and there seems to be a lot of, like, recruitable characters uh, as part of the game itself as you're going down the narrative. Um, it was It was funny because... One of the earliest characters that you can recruit is a dog. You just you, you have this dog by like the the opening like shrine that you go down. It's like, hey, what's a, a a lamb chop? It's like, so you go to like the nearby town, get like buy a lamb chop and then feed it. And it's like, hey, it's like you wanted to join your party. It's like, yeah, sure, why not? And then I I asked the developers like, if you're really persistent, can you make this dog like a master of like a kung fu style? It's like, yeah, if you're really persistent, you can make it a master and like we we can become a kung fu master. And um, make it train in like all sorts of different styles. Like that's great. Like there's like a wine, like a, like a, a wine art style where like I guess it's like kind of drunken, drunk, uh, drunken fighting almost. So if you really want to, you can make this dog become a kung fu master, like uh, a, a drunken kung fu master. Okay. What was the name of this game again? World of Kung Fu. I believe it's on Steam. Uh, okay. Like, like World of Kung Fu Dragon and Eagle. So it sounds so, like a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that 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 was uh, fun checking that out. Um, then I went to I don't know how to pronounce their um, this publisher. It's like Ysbrid, Y S B R Y D. Ysbrid. Yeah. I mean, Ysbrid. 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 Oh. Yeah. So I I, I uh, checked that out. Checked them out after I had lunch. I checked out Demon School and World of Horror. Uh, World of Horror was on Switch, and then Demon School I believe was, I think it was on, it was on PC, but I had a controller for it. I, I did a write-up for Demon School. Uh, that's a really cool game that's shaping up. At first, I thought it was going to be... I didn't actually know how the battle system worked because I didn't really do much research on the game. I thought it was going to be a, a standard like turn-based battle system or strategy RPG because it had that Persona 2 style, and like, that's kind of what my... Yeah, that's kind of been their big marketing hook is that you know it's classic classic Persona-inspired. Yeah, but it's not, but it's not supposedly. even... Yeah, but it's not even like... But I was speaking with the uh, the game's director on it. It wasn't even something that like they considered that it was it resembled when they were. They only knew that it resembled classic Persona based on fan feedback when they revealed it. It, it was something that was more coincidence uh, on their end with developing because they were trying to figure out how to retain the characters the character models proportions, but in an isometric style. And what they came up with was look very similar to what Persona did. So the you know he guesses that like the, I guess the development team back then for Persona, you know, and what they went through came up with a similar sort of like they design just, they process. Just, they, arrive, they arrived at the yeah. same place, yeah, independently. Exactly. Um, so, but it's it's very much a, a little bit like into the breach of planning out your turns before you execute them. So you kind of tinker around with your moves, and and the the, the movement limitations is strange but cool in this game because. Your characters can only move in a straight line multiple spaces. So either a straight line in front of them multiple spaces or, or, or 
diagonally, directly, multiple spaces. And you can, like, change their trajectory by sidestepping once, left or right, in them. And when you, like, interact, when you land on a tile that's adjacent to an enemy, it'll automatically attack them. You don't have to, like, there's no menu that pops up ever that says, hey, menu pops up, chooses command. It, like, does it all on the fly during this planning phase. So and then there are some characters that have different effects if you run into enemies. Like this um, character named Namako, she doesn't deal damage to enemies if she, you land her in an adjacent space. Instead, if you, she can go through enemies when, when, they, when you interact with them in her trajectory path, and it'll swap her uh, adjacent tile with the enemy. And as you swap that, they'll get stunned um, in the process. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a debuff as well. So, so she's more of a utility character that uh, repositions enemies and also inflicts debuffs uh, the elements also. And if and if you swap them that enemy with her tile and they're like adjacent allies, it'll do like a combo attack on them. So you can kind of chain reaction sort of stuff. And your offense characters can like push enemies into other enemies while do damage to all of them and sort of stuff. And then your healer. Can obviously heal allies and can provide an attack up buff if they heal an ally that's already full on health. Um, so it's a lot of like this planning phase, and it's it's pretty comprehensive because of the way that you manage um, your characters. Because it's not like one move per character; it's all dictated based on this um, pool of eight action points that you have, and you can uh, have a, one character act multiple times. It'll just take more and more AP the more you use them. So if I have Namiko act once, it'll cost 1 AP. If I want her to act again, it'll cost 2 AP. Then again, it'll cost 3 AP. But that's individually... Uh, that's only per character. So if she comes, if I have her act like two times, the cost of the other characters remain at 1 AP until I start moving them again and again. So it, it's like, like Into the Breach, it's all about maximizing your action points uh, and your kind of player economy uh, on that end and that that was really cool there was a really cool boss battle at the end of it and that was very um a, a lot of things going on and i talked more about the game and uh, um in, in my write-up for it and other sort of non non-combat activities that you do and the game uh, they mentioned that the game will have up to 15 playable characters so at least all four obviously in my time with it and you can they all have like their own separate like um relation sort of building with the, with the characters so you can spend time with them upgrade their skills uh learn more totally about invented them. by persona <laughs> so you know it, it it seems really cool i i really really dug how the battle system worked in that and it also um, just has like a really cool just like visual aesthetic yeah. mm-hmm. they're, they're talking lots, about like lots of like reds maroons and purples yeah they're talking about how the, yeah it's very inspired by italian horror on that end so it has a very mm-hmm. distinct look and it's lighting um so I, that's definitely a game that i want to check out when it fully releases that seems like a lot of fun uh the the other game that i checked out from uh east brid was world of horror running on switch um uh, this was a so this game has been early access for a long time it's coming out uh, in 1.0 i think this october um the, the the switch interface sort of surprised me because you're still controlling the game with a mouse cursor in it. I thought it was going to be more like a direct controller input, but I even asked about it. it's like, is this still going to be like a mouse cursor? I thought it was maybe a debug build or an early, but it's like, no, we're still going to have the mouse cursor in it. So you're like controlling the game through a mouse cursor with a Joy-Con. And like, it's not 
it's not bad. It's just something that just caught me off guard. So I did like it. it, uh, it for for horror fans, you know, they you know what to expect from this game. But but they added a lot of it as like a different color filters uh, instead of just the monochrome. You can have it like in the sepia tone. Have it only like a light blue. It kind of brings out more details of the artwork through these uh, different filters, um, which just got kind of you know provides an interesting sort of like mood and tonal shift uh, when you uh, flip them on. Um, it's uh, I I didn't I didn't know how how there's like a there's like a almost like a pick up and play mode in it that like we just went through like this uh sort of like mini case in the game where I had to go find items in the environment to go perform this ritual before confronting the boss and so forth. I just didn't uh, like I never played this game before, so I didn't know there's like a a a mode where you can like pick up and play and just like kind of do something. And then you know, a lot of the the game's allure is that it's like a Junji Ito inspired artwork. So there's like an index in the game that keeps track of like how like what artwork you've unlocked. And for people who want to or completionists and want to see all the artwork, you know, there's a way to kind of chase those sort of like um, different endings and uh, and and triggering different events that might have new artwork that you haven't seen. So that was neat. Um, uh, maybe I'll get to, to a writer to it. Maybe not. Who knows. Depends on time. Has that has stuff. that one been on like some of those Steam festivals? It might have been. Sure, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I'm looking at the art, and I know I've like seen this and like covered it before. So yeah, one of those games that people have had different opportunities to kind of look at and, and poke at uh, over the few different events over the over the last year or so. It's still in uh, early access on Steam. Yeah. Um Very positive reception there. Yeah. Um. So after that, I went to go check out this uh, another indie game, uh, pretty early in development, called Mirthwood. This is, um, by, by, I think, this is primarily developed by two people, and um, it, it's kind of very early right now. Um, that you don't even see. I, I don't think they've shown gameplay off of yet. Like I did get hands on, saw gameplay, and it's like it's it's sort of a non-linear action RPG, um, but it, it's like a the the, the character. Has a pretty basic, like almost marionette style um, movement, and it's 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 very open ended. You kind of get um, shipwrecked, and the, the the very start you're on this beach, you're gathering equipment and armor and sort of stuff. And the 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 fights are sort of basic, but more it's probably more challenging than it needs to be right now. They even I think uh, mentioned that to me because the enemy AI is very good at like getting out of your range and like counterattacking and they have like this um block that makes you stunned every time you attack them which is kind of annoying <laughs> but the the thing that stuck out to me in this game is the way that you build your character it's a sort of that game that the more you do something the better you get at it so you get more st- better stats based on like how much you do something in it so i was getting good at like, gathering stuff so i got um sort of more stats based on like my gathering level and go up and the way you interact with PC uh, NPCs in this game is very open-ended because it kind of gives you almost like uh, like a, a lot of like different ways you can uh, respond to them. You don't respond to them through words, but like through like almost reactions and emotions. So if like if you want to joke with a person, how do you want to joke with them? How do you want to respond to like what they said? Are you gonna get happy, excited, sad, disappointed? And I'm not exactly sure how that feeds into like the overall game itself. So I think it's still very like in the very conceptual stages, like how they wanna flesh out the system. It, like you can like have an NPC card display and it'll like dis- uh, display like their whole range of like what they think about you and their temperament and all that sort of stuff. 
but I'm not exactly sure how this will feed into the overall game itself and how it reacts to like what you're doing in the game and the overall scope of yeah, it. A lot of those like longer <laughs> reaching RPG mechanics and progressions are really hard to suss out in like a five to ten to fifteen minute demo. Yeah. So um so I checked that out. Um and then uh I went to the a, a VIP lounge at uh, at the Carly room uh to go check out Monster Hunter now. They had a free bar, free food. And I gotta admit, James was right. This this game kind of is way better than you'd think when you get hands yeah. on. <laughs> I, I got to play a good chunk of it. I played Sword and Shield, uh, Long Sword, Great Sword, Bowgun, Hammer. Um, uh, again, see the nearby monsters. Yeah, I went to go to, to do uh, Raytheon, uh, Diablos. Um, what uh, there are some other uh, monsters in there as well that I can't remember off the bat, but it 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 ran really well in the phones that they had on it. It was pretty uh, rock solid sixty FPS when you're alone. It does kind of dip as more and more players um, get more involved in it, but it it it, it runs you know well, well for the most part. Um, yeah, obviously had like yeah, all, all the equip all, all the armor, all the weapons there, kind of already unlocked for you. Um, but uh, in the full game, you know, you're going to have to grind monsters, get mats to craft new armor, craft new weapons, you know, monster under things. Um, and it, it was it was just kind of, it was nice being able to, like, kind of just have the focus solely on, like, the monsters, nothing else, like, kind of really um, interrupting you in the middle of fights. It's kind of, just a very intimate sort of fight. Um, and and the, the mobile controls... Were more responsive and uh, had a, had like a really good like visual feedback on um, the animations that you were doing. Like everything felt very impactful in it, and it felt you know n- nice like you know bopping monsters on the head of the hammer and them getting like having you know the feedback of a real monster of like getting st- them stunned, getting them like um, posture broken, and uh, all, all sorts of stuff. So. That was that. That was really cool, and you know, got to speak to some of like the the Antic developers, you know, about the game and what they plan to do on uh, release and all, all that sort of stuff. Like, it's not nothing like new was uh, really mentioned, but kind of just seeing more of their mindset and the uh, approach uh, to developing the game because you know they're Monster Hunter fans as well. On it, I, I think I don't know if it, I forgot if there's a sort of stamina system, but I think the the, the but definitely one of the systems that like people will have to manage is their health because like that their the their health is very is persistent so if you took like eight damage from a fight that'll to the next fight unless you use a potion but if you if you want to take a break that your health will recover over time as well because i i, I don't know how how much are going to be distributing like health potions i, I like they mentioned something that they would um, but I don't know how often, and also, um, I imagine there's gonna be like monetization plans, um, maybe on that end too. Okay, so the way that the health potions work is that you mm-hmm. get a daily supply of first aid meds. Mm-hmm. You get, I think, up to ten mm. per day. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get any more than that each day, you either have to get them as like a level up, like punch rank up rewards, or you can buy them. Okay, but yeah. if you're just playing it casually, like ten is more than enough for like each day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
you know, just uh, t- 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 take like you know, don't t- don't try to speed run it. I guess <laughs> you know, in one single day. Well, it's so. kind of similar. Like that's that's kind of in line with like the the I don't know what you call it the quest chest items, or you go out on a dispatch and you get four first aid kits in addition to whatever you have stocked on your yeah. Your bag. It's it's enough where it seems reasonable and like it it makes sense that they'd be like, well, if you want any more, you're gonna have to pay. It doesn't seem like something that is like stingy, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I got it. Definitely looks like. Would have to see how full release handles it, and see what you know what the prices are, because a lot of this is like it's it's hard to tell pre-release. Uh, and there are definitely some like hunts in that, like they're like six-star hunts that I definitely did solo. But um, doing it with others obviously raises the like the monster stats, so you could actually like kind of get if you're not if you're not properly equipped, you can get one shot in them. Um, but it was fun doing them solo. It was great. Um, yeah. So. And, and and people are going, whoa! You know how to play the game? I'm like, yeah, I know how to play a video game. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what I can actually say is, um, the game is in like a soft launch, and I believe like Canada now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yesterday, I did actually get code for the full release from Niantic, and I'm oh, allowed cool. to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, okay. there's some changes from when I played the uh, closed beta that I'm not so sure about, and hopefully they kind of revert them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you played it, you got to check out the lock-on feature, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in the closed beta, that was just like a basic feature of the game. Now it's an armor skill you have to unlock. Oh, weird. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, I thought it was universal. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious about that. Hopefully, like a lot of armor pieces have it, so it's really easy yeah. to get. But that's kind of a weird yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I went to go check out Monster Hunter. Now that was that was cool. Um, you know, ne- ne- next day, you know, um, uh, I met up with Alcat Games to check out Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Um, you know, it's, uh, their, their their next CRPG in the Warhammer. Uh, set in the Warhammer universe. Um, it was a pretty lengthy, you know, chat with the devs as they were doing the developer walkthrough of like, uh, they mentioned it was like, a, it was a late game save that's 80 hours in. So that's what I saw. I'm like, wow. alright. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> so it's nice to know that's still going to be pretty fucking lengthy, which is, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, it's par, par for the course versus yeah. the other two games. Yeah. yeah. But, it, they, you know, they showed off like a, a new character in it that had like dual blades and can dish out DPS real, really fast. They showed off this encounter with like phasing in enemies that you had to sort of cut off and uh, this elite enemy at the center. So you had to make sure they didn't like reconvene because it would also be um, more of a handle to to deal with. Um, you know, talking about, you know, their, their relationship with the Games Workshop. And, you know, there's actually going to be romance in the game, but it's going to be limited romance because. Obviously, you can't have, you can't romance a sister of battle, an or a brother of battle, sort of stuff. Because that's not you know canonic. That, that that would break the canon too much of the Warhammer universe if you could romance them. So there are certain people you can romance, but not all of them. Um, so they had like you know I spoke with the the developer about like you know how flexible was Games Workshop in letting you you know <laughs> being able to like design some aspects of the game. So I, I definitely want to write up something on it. That's just something I didn't get around to yet. Um, but that was that, that was really really cool to see. They showed me a little bit of character creation, and it's kind of again obviously have multiple endings. You can choose like an origin story. You can also choose that like it's still in development, so they didn't show me like um 
specific options, but there are definitely options of like doing like your, your origin background for your character. Like you can choose like your greatest triumph and like your darkest hour, and that'll somehow feed into the narrative um, uh, at certain points as well. So that's so th- that was a, a really really fun game uh, to check out and seeing the getting more of like the behind the scenes design process of like what they uh, learned from the the Pathfinder uh, games uh, for for it. So that that was a lot of fun. That I I'll, I'll definitely try to get around to it at some point uh, for the site. The only, um, the only thing that I'm worried about that is a. I think the Pathfinder just mythos is more interesting than mm-hmm. Warhammer for me. Mm-hmm. Like I almost yeah. wish it was just a third Pathfinder game, but whatever. Um, uh-huh. But also the fact that they're going strictly turn based, which. Like I, I just have been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate three, which is strictly turn based and having a blast. Yeah. But it's basically, I'm I'm having a lot of faith here, where the the turn based mods that were modded and then officially implemented into the Pathfinder games make those games very, very, very slow. But mm-hmm. you could say like, well, they weren't originally designed with that in mind. Where with Rogue Trader, they made the decision very early on that it was going to be a turn based game. So I'm hoping that that means that you know. Just the number of enemies is not quite as many because when it's real time with pause and you can kind of set up, you know, which skills are your most powerful, you can kind of do like enemy swarms, but then you just know how to deal with them quickly or turn based. It just makes everything kind of bogged down. Uh, So I'm hopeful and it'll be it'll be kind of interesting to like, all right, I like the two other Pathfinder games. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything at all about Warhammer. Here we go. Yeah, I'll get I'll get CD in a side chat and be like, "What is this? What is That's this? definitely even any Warhammer game. Like, I don't know. Warhammer looks cool, and like, I I play some Warhammer games and have fun with them. Like, you know, Space Marine and like Vermintide. You know, like yeah, I don't know. Ver- sure, but... uh, yeah, they, they they release so often that uh, I, Adam, do you keep them straight when you cover these? No, uh, but I know I know that Vermintide too was the one that got a pretty fo- good following. Uh, it's kind of like this, um, just like this four-player pick-up-and-play game. Mm-hmm. But I don't and, know and anything I, about it beyond yeah. that. And I asked about, like, you know, the, the the making this a turn-based centric game, and that's something that kind of they they conceived at the very like beginning stages of development. That was like this is always planned to be a turn-based game. It was never planned to be a real-time with action or uh, real-time with pause uh, game because of the amount of abilities and skills that each uh, character has. Like doing real time with pause would just be overwhelming, and mm. this uh, for that. So that's why they made it turn based. And the, and the actual like combat encounter itself didn't drag on for too long. It had like you know enemies phase in together, so there was a lot of like a, like sort of like AOE style approaches, to, like uh, handling like multiple enemies together and having uh, working with your character synergies together to take them down. You know, fairly quickly. Not not like not like a breeze in the park or a walk in the park, but um, but it, but it's a it's it's worth considering that. At least for the demo that I saw, like it, it didn't seem to drag out for too long, but it, there was definitely a lot of careful planning that you had to do to make sure it wasn't going to be like a really bad, very bad situation. Like there was like the the elite that they were going through, like um, got like a bad crit on like um, the the new dual wielding character, and, like almost died, but you know made it made it through, made it through. So so yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. And obviously, you know, it's going to be another. Lengthy game that uh, people's uh, fans of these uh, of, this, of these developer they know what and will and and will be a pretty popular game on for Neo Seeker guides. <laughs> yes, ciao. Ciao to do Warhammer. Is that what I hear? 
Or why not? He's going to guide it. I mean, the, the Chow would always like this. This is something that doesn't surprise me. But you know, Chow, who does a lot of work over with some Neo Seeker guides, like the the two Pathfinder games are always high up there just because they're so intricate with their like um, progression and classes and quests. And I won't be surprised if Warhammer also ends up uh, Rogue Trader also ends up being uh, a heavy hitter for that site. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, then I went to go check out uh, a game that was actually the NASA Tokyo Game Show last year. This was Enotria, the last song. So this is like kind of uh, an Ital- Italian rogue or Souls-like game that's still very early in development. It was like a kind of they were showing off like an Unreal Engine five hands-on demo of it, and you know it it plays like a Souls-like. Your R one attack, R two heavy attack. The main gimmick in this game. Um, Besides being based in Italy, um, is uh, you there, there's a lot of um, emphasis on switching masks that have gameplay benefits. They they change up like your sort of specialties almost. Um, so they're like Italian Venetian uh, inspired sort of masks um, that I, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what the exact effects are, but like in the middle of like battle, you can kind of switch them out with the down D pad. Um, and like your character will do like a thirty second animation lock with switching mask, um, and you know you had your very limited healing items. Uh, you had like stance changes during your sort of um, uh, combat, your combos, um, sort of stuff. So it, it, it like I got the developers a little bit, seeing you know where they're coming from in the game. It was in the in the premise of the game. I was getting to the premise of the game. Uh, one of the developers like. Hey, uh, so, uh, do you watch anime? I'm like, yeah. And it's like, a little. So, so it's like, so yeah, just a tiny bit, you know, I don't know anything. Um, see, so he compared, <laughs> he kind of like, he sort of compared like the lore and like the premise of the game to like the ending of Naruto. I don't know the ending of Naruto, but I pretended that I did. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know the ending. Who, who doesn't know the ending of Naruto, you know? So I, I don't know either. I thought it had hey. something to do with like moon people. I think it's really weird. Yeah, yeah so okay. I assume. <laughs> Look, man, I, I don't. Sorry, all you Naruto fans listening. I don't so, know so is. people who know the ending of Naruto, um, the premise of Inochi the last song is sort of similar to it. That's what I gathered. Um, you know, I, I yeah, I, I like I, I, it's so early in development, like anything can change. Like it looks really pretty on Unreal Engine Five. The lighting is really nice, very vivid. The, the 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 game performance itself obviously not really that optimized it's like 30 fps cap um right now but obviously it's optimization is something that's like kind of in the back half of development most of the time so that's not really a big focus right now right now it's kind of fleshing out uh game content itself and what sort of fe- the finalizing features and so forth so you know it it, it was a, it was a neat sort of shake up to like you know uh, to the souls like genre of like having this uh, emphasis on um, mass changing for new gameplay benefits and passives and sorts, uh, so forth. Um, after that, I briefly checked out uh, Rabbit and Steel. Uh, I, I got uh, I had a lengthy chat with the developer. Um, coincidentally, I didn't have an appointment for it, but I just kind of we just kind of sort of got into talking about it, and I uh, put the whole chat on <laughs> into into, uh, into an article. And I hope people like that because it, it is a lot of for people who want to know what developing a game is like, especially solo development is like. 
there's a lot of great insights um, about that in that chat with the developer, especially because there's a game that is um, team-based focus. It is basically not an RPG, but it is a roguelike for up to four players um, that at each fight in the game is uh, plays out like an MMORPG raid. Um, so it's a lot of stacking mechanics. There's some soak mechanics. There's also there's all sorts of mechanics that you only really see in an MMORPG raid. And for people who've never done it, it uh, you know, it's kind of, it might be a nice introduction to it because usually MMORPG raids demand you to have like some hours into an MMO before you even see the like one of the initial ones. And even then, like it's only very basic mechanics. You know, um, you don't really get into like later, later MMO raid mechanics until much, much further into an MMO usually. Uh, just spending a lot of hours into it. So we spoke a lot about, you know, like he was very into FF14 at the time and conceptualizing this game, but wanted to bring that experience over to uh, uh, an audience that like maybe you know, didn't want to spend so much time into an MMO to get that experience. And so thinking about like the ways you streamline the leveling up in this game, hiring up your character, uh, design challenges, uh, and all sorts of stuff. It was a very, very fruitful, insightful conversation that I was, you know, pretty proud of of like being able to kind of, to keep up with it because you know I, it's been a while since I've really played MMO and uh, and being able to yeah, just sort of get like you know. Th- th- think about things from a development angle, how you would design that sort of game. Mm-hmm. So it was great. It was I, awesome. Yeah. I can kind of see some of that. I was watching their um, little announcement trailer as you were discussing, like, kind of the def- some of the philosophies there. I'm like, yeah, I can see it. It's kind of fun where if you just want to pick up, try a new experience and see how they've implemented these sorts of things, where normally these are 100 hours in or more into a, um, a much more long running game, just to have it more uh, kind of bite sized and piecemeal like that. Yeah. So that was that was fantastic. Um I also um the I also did like another like sort of like on the on the spot mini interview with um the the developer of um a game that has been in early access for like forever now, like a long gone days. Uh it's like a narrative uh focused RPG that's finally oh, getting a full we, release. Um, we brought this up on the last sure. week podcast because, like, I guess back in like 2018 or so, Zach reviewed the early access. Yeah. And like, we had a comment like five years ago where we, Zach put up the review. I think he even scored it. And then uh, the comment was like, oh, you should revisit this when it's out of early access. Like, we'll do. I was like, oh, thank you, Zach, for signing us up for that. Well, uh, we'll, so, we'll see. Yeah. But the, no, but it, it was great, like being able to like talk, speak to the developer about the, you know the challenges of like the early access process, why, why it's taken so long, and you know what changes people can expect from like the early access period to the full game. Um, I'll probably I'll that up because it was a pretty you know fruitful conversation again with the developer. That once again, I, I like sharing and like learning and sharing like the human side of like game development and trying to. Get a better, uh, like getting people to more, more people to understand. Like, well, obviously, one game development is hard, but two, that things change over time, and things, you know, may or may, may or may not be in the full release depending on development schedules. Like, even with the Rabbit and Steel developer, the like, you know, it's a very human moment and human response when thinking 
about like what is the what is going to be the final full release when it initially launches. Will I have the f- the full ending of the story out, or will I release that as free DLC later on because of meeting development deadlines, development schedules? What does the uh, what does the timetable look like right now? So having like these face to face conversations and seeing those human moments. Like not not even just like hearing what they say, but also just kind of like the the body language and the and what what is communicated non verbally um, at that moment is uh is, is pretty enlightening and pretty you know it's 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 always cool to see you know people think like uh, communicating to people that game development is more than just like shipping a game out of nowhere magically you know it is it it is a much much more complex process and and being able to get those sort of like conversations and showing them to people getting people like you know get to understand that that i i I love doing that but no but that's just me so i got to speak to long gandhi's developer um i also got to briefly briefly check out this a really cool adventure game uh, hand drawn, all it seems like all hand drawn called Eden Scamada. That um, Playism is publishing. Um, it is, th- this is a really really pretty game. It is sort of like mm, the closest comparison I'll give it is like sort of like a, to a Zero Escape game from the brief time I played it. <clears throat> so the premise is at the very beginning, you're this character that stumbles upon this um, android that's sort of broken. And then you come pop, uh, across her. Her name is Eve, I believe. And um, so she has like her. She has like broken, like torn off limbs all over the place. But she reattaches them um, once you once she powers up and uh, meets you. And um, you know, while you're trying to figure out what's happening, there's this other like robot out of nowhere, kind of like a, a small robot called Cherry. And Cherry accuses Eve that of murdering someone they have camera footage that uh, of eve looking back at the camera with red eyes and a dead person in front of her it's like you killed this person it's like and so the very first task you're given is trying to prove eve's innocence and then so you have like this adventure sort of uh, interface where you can uh shuffle between like different screens um interacting with the environment um trying to find out um what happened here the the thing is you only have a limited time frame like it says you're given five minutes to do it but it's represented through actions you only have like five actions you can do commit to five actions you can do in their environment before time is up if you do it unsuccessfully and it kind of suspects you to do it unsuccessfully at first um eve is pretty much scrapped and you have to do it again but the, the but the tutorial teaches you from that first failure that you can actually use keywords and uh, get a list of keywords and hover them through like different like dialogue bubbles in the environment um and that might lead to another thing so a keyword that i obtained i hovered it over something and it opened uh a safe that like gave me a key of some sorts and a password um and and the really striking thing about this because you know a lot of this kind of you've seen in other adventure games but the really striking thing about this is visually it looks like like a sketch in motion for these characters like the way they they move they animate uh through this um screen when you're interacting with them it's 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 like almost like a like a hand 
handmade anime like sketch in motion and it's it's it was cool to see that like there are parts of this that are incomplete i think they're incomplete because like for example there's like a a, a, on one of the screens like eve has this animation where she um um looks behind her and walks towards to like the the object behind her but there's like in between frames that i believe aren't like colored yet so like for a frame like her, her whole entire model is not colored it's like it's like for a frame it's like white and then back to a colored motion it's like so it, it really shows that like each and every frame seems like it's like even every frame in animation is like hand sketched and hand like almost hand colored also um mm-hmm. and all, all sorts of stuff so it's like it's that, that's one hell of an undertaking dude that's not easy so uh, on a technical level so uh, yeah, okay. I don't. I don't have the technical vocabulary to speak to it because you know, animating on the ones or on twos, you know, to to um, emulate different levels of like fluidity in term in terms of you know what the techniques are and digital animation versus hand drawn animation versus digital coloring things like that. But I like again, as you've been talking, I just pulled up just the the default trailer that plays on Steam. This is Eden Schematica. Uh, mm-hmm. If if you just search for that, you should be able to find it, even though the title is a bit stylized, um, kind of like Void Terrarium. But yeah, just the animation here, it's I it's not quite like anything else I've ever seen in terms in terms of like I can't think of a very direct comparison, like, oh, this looks like this game. Like, no, this kind of looks a, a little bit different. Um the lines are very soft, the animation's very fluid, but not a high frame rate. It's almost kind of like the um the uh the new Spider-Verse movie is only not CG and not like CG. Even mm-hmm. though I'm sure this is digitally colored, but I don't mm-hmm. know. Just look up Eden Schematica on on YouTube or on Steam, and just take a look. It's very pretty. And yeah. as an aside, yeah. it kind of feels like a lot of CG styled movies uh, have kind of gone for like that lower frame rate style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think Spider Verse definitely changed things up in that like ah. Uh, There's like a like new the, TMNT the movie that's similar to that too. Yeah, yeah. So well, it's like really you know those, those YouTube those YouTube videos where they like. They take whatever the original animation was and they just like modulate oh, it to sixty frames per second, and it just, ru- and it just oh, ruins no. it because like animate like I again, again I I don't have the vocabulary to speak to it in terms of like but you know there these are deliberately animated to have like keyframes animated on ones or on twos or on threes to evoke a certain thing but, like nope sixty frames per second and that's um, how everything is supposed to be right it's like no uh, please don't <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's like it's like kind of almost like kind of. Uh, Getting like the the popular um, demand of having sixty FPS like in most games, but like applied to that sort of landscape, <laughs> uh, it's like it drives me insane. Like like sixty FPS anime openings on YouTube, like I just wish they all just burned and just never existed. I uh, I can't deal with it. Mm. Um, and you know, and just a few more after that. You know, I met with uh, Grinding Gear Games for Path of Exile Two. Um, you know, Path of Exile has been ongoing for like a decade now so it's definitely found that crowd of and, and that level of success a lot of hardcore hardcore players uh in that space love it you know it, it obviously has like it's a roller coaster sometimes it has some bad periods some good periods but like right now path of exile a lot of people have been really really liking like the new league um from what i understand uh and a lot of my friends who've played been playing it for a long time really enjoy you know what path of exile is on right now so I got to check out like a developer walkthrough um, from the um, from Jonathan Rogers, game director on Path of Exile 2. and it's it, it you know he kind of 
walk me through like the changes uh, that people can expect from Path of Exile too. But even if it's like, even if it's your per- first Path of Exile, it it plays so differently. The battle system is so different that it's like having even even if you have like outside knowledge and like experience with Path of Exile, like that'll matter to some extent. But for the most part, you're dealing with a brand new game system. That you think about things like they showcased the game hands on for the first time at ExileCon a few weeks back, and a lot of like, and of course, a lot of people who played Path of Exile One are going to be at ExileCon, and when they got hands on with a lot of them were just dying left and right because they're trying to play it like Path of Exile One, um, and and Path of Exile Two, um, a lot of like the big changes with it, aside from like you know having a dodge roll now, um. It is like you know, fully invincible. You can do it. It's not a, not on a cooldown. Um, it is mixing and matching your whole entire toolkit. Like Path of Exile One's like design philosophy uh, at the moment, and like it's been on on this like for a few years now. Is like optimizing pretty much like one skill to like its fullest. Like you have yeah, you have a build, and your entire build is focused on maybe one, maybe two skills to like just like deal with everything, right? And with Path of Exile 2, it's a lot of, like, using your whole entire kit to uh, react to certain things. So, for example, they did a developer uh, walkthrough of the Druid. And the Druid can, you know, transform into a, a bear and a human at will. There's not, like, a, 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 a specific skill that you use to transform alone. Like, every... If you use a bear skill, you automatically transfer to a bear. If you use a human skill, you automatically transfer to a human. And you stay in those forms for as long as you press another skill. And it's not like being in the bear is inherently tankier. It depends on how you build it through the skill tree. It's not like, oh, I'm a bear now. I'm automatically more tanky than the human. It's like, no, you have to build that tankiness through the skill tree. And, you know, the skill tree is still as complex as ever as it was in Path of Exile 1. So, newer players... Well, I have to do their research and um, getting used to that sort of skill tree style. Um, but as you're as you're doing different skills, um, with between the the human form and the bear form of this druid, it'll have different effects. For example, the um, the human form can uh, spawn this volcano that has um, fireballs coming out of it and does a lot of AOE damage for for. Each fireball that hit uh, hits enemies around it, but if you hit it multiple times, more and more fireballs will spew out of it uh, than just like summoning it by itself and not interacting with it at all. So one of the things that Jonathan uh, showed me was what if you spawn this volcano, then use a bear skill that has like this maul ability, and then. So using this small ability and it, it it's having and it's firing on more and more fireballs from this because you're interacting with it. So if you're in the middle of a fight, that like all, all that all, all that damage is kind of adding up because you're pushing out more damage and that mall da- mall skill is also doing damage. And there's there's a skill gem system where you can modify it so you can have um, skills work in tandem with one another. So there's like a modifier for this mall skill to have it. Um, hit two times after you hit enemies that are stunned. So you stun. So you hit. You hit enemies. You stun them. You hit them again. And then once you hit an, uh, uh, a stunned enemy, your next small skill will hit two times. And if you hit that that volcano, 
with your next small skill two times, it'll spew out even more like vol- volcano fireballs. So it's a lot of like, ma- like thinking about different synergies with your move set and move, move kit. And they're, they're, they were also mentioning like, there's a way to kind of like, if you don't want to like press six to seven buttons, you know, at once or manage that, there's a way to like automate it through the skill gem system. So like, for example, you have this lightning skill with your human form, and you also have a summon wolf skill that will summon a wolf, but as you summon a wolf, you also inflict a debuff to enemies surrounding it. Now, you can modify, do uh, have different skills, lightning and wolves, as their separate skill slots, and you can have like different modifiers with them if you want to. But if you want to automate it, so like, for example, you summon wolves at a time where you need the debuff the most, then you can actually like s- slot that skill jump for the summon wolves into the lightning skill slot. So when you um sum- when you summon lightning, it'll fill a gauge that the more enemies that the lightning hits, the faster this summon wolves gauge charges up. And so if you hit that lightning skill into a group of enemies, uh, uh it'll it'll automatically summon a wolf right there because it hit because that lightning hit so much. So it's it's a lot of Path of Exile 2's approach to combat uh, as opposed to Path of Exile 1 seems to be a lot of experimentation with synergy in your character's toolkit. It's like it's all like a lot of freedom. Don't worry about worry about cooldowns. Um and so it's it's very fast, very visceral. There were several times in the demo where the developer died, not on purpose either. <laughs> you know, they like died like two or three times during that demo because enemy packs can be so aggressive in it. Uh, so that was really really cool to like kind of have eyes on on that um uh, in generally it's really cool to see like when they're genuinely playing the game and they're not like on um some sort of god mode or your their hp will never go less than one because you know know, and sometimes that kind of sneaks through where because they because you know they're afraid to fail on on stream or on a recording but like nope you know this is true to the experience players will have so we're just going to play it straight up oh i died that's how it goes sometimes yep so and then i got to chat you know with both the path of exile one um director chris wilson and both jonathan rogers after that just a brief interview um i'll I'll see if i can get around to it honestly it was was a lot and it's going to be it's kind of probably gonna be a wordy article too because of the way it like it, it was one of those things like people who speak to about Path of Exile like even for my friends they speak very fast and it's a lot of mechanics and when it comes to and when like when the developers speak about it they speak even faster about it so it's like like I got I got it all on like recording but it's just like translating that on a, on a page is like okay <laughs> how do I do this you know. So, but it, it, it was great. It was a great, you know, time seeing that. I do want to like give Path of Exile two a shot. I feel like Path of Exile one is gonna. If I if I do want to try out that game, it's gonna be a lot a long process because it's a lot of research. And they, they do plan to keep Path of Exile one when Path of Exile two comes out. They're gonna be supporting both games simultaneously. So like, league for league, for example, like the like the seasons. Like they'll 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 start on a staggered pace. Like Path of like Path of Exile two's season like league will start, and then like maybe a month or two later, or I forgot if it's like a month or three months. I forgot. Um, later, Path of Exile one's league will start, and then like they'll have different mechanics in each league. So they do plan to support both titles simultaneously. Um, and the and the anything that you buy with real money, even now, 
all the monetization stuff, so all the cosmetic effects, all the all the additional stash tabs. Um, but it'll work in both games simultaneously. You don't have to rebuy anything in Path of Exile Two. If it works in Path of Exile One, it'll also work in Path of Exile Two, and vice versa. So you don't have to worry about like rebuying all the stuff that you did in Path of Exile One because it'll all just be unlocked and there from the get go in Path of Exile Two. So which is really nice, you know. It's Hell of a lot better than how most game uh, games handle it these days. In general, it just seems like, first of all, being being in a position as a studio to support two games at once is not a luxury that a lot of studios might have. Yeah. But I'm not sure how you know. With that set aside, the fact that they say like, "Hey, if you know, you don't have to you know upend your your communities or your your builds or anything, you know, because Path of Exile One, we're going to still support. It's not going to go on maintenance mode." However, if you did play a lot of Path of Exile 1 and you're going to go into Path of Exile 2, you're not going to start from zero. We're going to, you know, you're going to get these sort of benefits in terms of, you know, the, the unlocks that you had worked your way yeah, up towards. Um, the basically, basically all, all, all the support that you gave us over the years, we want to make sure that we still respect and honor your purchases. So you can still all use that in Path of Exile 2, which is, it's really cool that like, like it's like you can, I could tell why this community loves grinding gear games. Like, you know, like there, there was Chris Wilson. Up like just citing a lot of people's you know stuff, uh, and uh, doing like a meet and greet like you know uh, out to people who are passing by who are fans of Path of Exile One like you know uh, like Wilson is sort of like almost a celebrity in that community space because he's a lot of he's like a, he's the game director of Path of Exile One and does most presentations uh, on that he's kind of like the front man of Grinding Gear Games um, and it manages all that so it's it, like this this. Developer is very in tune with their community. They understand each other, um, and it's been kind of uh, and it's been a long running relationship. So it's fantastic. You know, it's it's always cool to see, and like a, a, an independent like developer that has kind of like no master up ahead, like, up above, to mm-hmm. see success and ongoing success in that manner, and and people speak so passionately about. Uh, Path of Exile whenever you, you get them started on it. and uh, It's great. Great. Uh, the, the last game I saw there that I'm... Uh, the, the, the one that I'm writing up for uh, next is Silent Hope uh, that Exceed is uh, localizing. It's made by Marvelous. It's an action RPG. Um, we saw it at a Nintendo Direct in June. Uh, that's when it was first revealed and they, sh- they showed more and more of the gameplay since. It's, uh, it's it, like uh, they... The, the the premise is uh, you know you have seven playable characters they're all mute uh, a lot of the premise is about this um former king stole away the world's birds so no one can speak verbally to each other and but uh, but um, these seven uh, characters are drawn into this princess who can speak telepathically to them so they traverse down this abyss to go find the former king and you know kind of get back the ability to speak um uh, to the world. So it was a nice little cute game. I enjoyed. Uh, I I spoke with the localization producer at Exceed Games about this game, and uh, I'll, you know I'll, I'll speak more about it in my write up for it. But of course, uh, my one of my first things I inquired about is like you know sort of the challenges that the localization team had with just the premise itself, because a lot of the cast doesn't speak. You know, so in terms of like how do you instill characterization? Uh, in these characters, when you know they they aren't able to express themselves verbally, and only the the princess can, so they had to. You know, the the producer told me you know that they had to write really well for because uh, because the princess for the most part is monologuing, narrating, and 
yeah, uh, and kind of giving flavor text to what's going on uh, in the game. And all of these uh, uh, characters play yeah, uniquely. That they all have their different strengths and weaknesses, have their own abilities. There's a lot. The, the, oddly enough, there's like a large emphasis on like making sure that each character has like a a way to debuff and buff themselves for combat. But uh, you know, there's gonna be advanced classes for each character, um, different uh, skills to swap out and experiment with uh, in the game. Like um, I chose the Farber um, for the. Um, so the latter half of the demo, and uh, they were saying that the farmer has an advanced class that uh, is able to summon farm animals. I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> that's awesome! You know, that's so, and, uh, as the story of Season Cows. <laughs> even Rune Factory connection right there. Yeah. But. So it, it it was a real it was a it was a fun cute game that uh, had a lot of fun speaking with the just the development of the game and the the localization process. Um all that sort of stuff and uh, hopefully i'll get that out you know sometime either later today or tomorrow um that'll be my next write-up on that but yeah I, that that's that, that that's kind of sums up my my, my pack so I, I saw a few more things here and there but you know it was kind of just whatever caught my eye almost it, it was it, it was a fun time i did a lot checked out a lot of things and got to meet a lot of great people you know it was just a fun time all around Oh, it's really cool, and it uh, makes me kind of nostalgic for being able to do that. So hopefully next year, that'll be on the cards. And just kind of oh, going yeah. forward, just across our site, just having multiple people being able to collaborate on these on-site events. And then, of course, a lot of the publishers in 2023 have really kind of kicked up, you know, kind of like the bespoke one-off events as well, being able to see the developers for either announced titles, unannounced titles, going off to see, like, Cullen had the, the boat experience with uh, One Piece Odyssey. Yeah, that's Things like that. Oh, but before I forget, I almost forgot. I almost forgot my 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 meeting with Square Enix. I got to check out the Star Ocean Two remake. Oh, that right. was cool. I I I I I wrote about that. It was it was a pretty brief demo. Yeah. Um. But that that that's shaping up to be like a fun experience. Um. And I got to check out the Little Goody Two Shoes. It's kind of like a horror or narrative adventure. Um. And I just I did a write up for that as well. So, so I almost forgot that, those too. Great. Is, so is that game in like early access or is it like? kind of complete from the state that you're playing because there was no release date when they show that trailer uh, for, uh, for little goody two shoes it, it it was a demo build i don't know how far along it is in development i didn't get to speak to any developers or people working about the game on it but it seemed you know that, that um i don't know how much of the game is in it uh i imagine it's not the full game i imagine some sort of early access build um and they're still kind of fine-tuning it and all sorts of stuff but i don't i don't know exactly the state of development it is but the the, the thing is the things I were, uh, 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 the the portion I was able to play was pretty substantial, and it was it, it was really cool. It has a really really nice '90s anime uh, era art style. Really nails it. Really goes for it. And you know, I, I might play the the developer's previous game, Pocket Mirror, um, before playing that game because now I'm interested because they've they really have nailed a sort of like um, a nice charming feel for the game that's sort of like kind of scary too <laughs> um which is which is awesome so yeah i mean that so it's um i, I don't know the release date for little, little goody tissues but um star ocean is november i believe it's gonna be i can't wait i can't wait for yeah yeah i'm i'm really, like just seeing it in person really makes me appreciate that they kept like the crisp 
2D pixel art. Like you can see the individual pixels on the characters, no smearing. It looks fantastic. Developers finally learning their lesson. I know. No, yeah, and so and you, as you kind of went through all the things that you saw over at PAX, um, you do have features up on RPGSite.net for For the King 2, Dungeons of Hinterburg, Stars in the Second Story, Persona 3 Reload, Rabbit and Steel, Little Goody Two-Shoes, and Demon School. So if anyone listening wants to see you know, your own full thoughts on any of those games, we do have write-ups on all of those up at RPGSite.net. So uh, thanks for taking the time to kind of just walk through all the things that you saw uh, at Seattle over the last week. Yeah, that was a, it was a it was a fun time. Uh, it was a lot of work, but also just like it just felt really refreshing. I was I'm just like, man, I really want to do more of this. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what, that was my, that was the thing that came out. I was like, man, I I I hope to do more of this stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm an introvert, so sometimes when I do those events, I, I t- it takes a little bit of a mental hurdle to get to it. But then once I do, I'm like, you know, I really enjoy myself, and it is energizing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've probably been one to one of these things, and yeah, it takes a while to get used to. I, I should have went. Uh, you know, my friend that organized that event that I was doing, he goes through these events all the time. He's always like saving money to go to PAX all the time. Maybe mm-hmm. I should go next year. Maybe yeah, we should uh, well, we look, should. man, the more the more the merrier. I would love to we'll see do, all we'll, you guys we'll do an on-site Yeah, like, dude, that'd be oh, fucking fantastic, honestly. But yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I haven't seen you in person, but you know, Brian, Adam, James, you know, I've seen all you in person. Would love to see you guys again. Miss you guys. So before we go on to the news slate, which is a little bit lighter this week, um, we do also have three other features up on the site. These are all reviews that have gone up over the last week. Um, the first one I'll get out of the way is the uh, Sea of Stars review. So we talked about Sea of Stars a little bit last week because I had just started it, but um, our reviewer, Paul, was not on the podcast, not able to make it. Uh, Paul was able to finish his review of Sea of Stars. He thought very highly of it. Um, I'm not going to summarize the whole review, but one thing that he kind of touched on in his review that I do think is true for the game is that Sea of Stars is designed in a way to for people like us, for us boomers that played these sorts of games in the 16-bit era. Uh, where when you're playing it, even if you, of course, are new to the title, it's nostalgic in a way where it almost feels like you're going to a game that you played a long time ago, even though, of course, you obviously haven't. So that's a combination of the visual style, the design, the, the, uh, the music aesthetics and things like that. So... He thought very highly of it. I haven't finished the game quite yet. I, I was able to put a few hours in over the last week. I'm bouncing between finishing Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield. I did download Ever Crisis, but I haven't booted it up yet. <laughs> um, I've heard of some interesting things about the launch of that game. Oh. Uh, uh, and then, um, like I mentioned earlier, I do have Starfield on my computer that uh, I, haven't, I haven't booted it up yet. So I'm juggling a lot right now. Usually I try to play like two games at a time, but uh, September hasn't allowed us that. Uh... I'll mention about it because I've been playing a little bit of Ever Crisis and its full release. Uh, b- before better, you say anything, uh-huh. what I've heard, I don't know if this is true or okay. not, but like Cowgirl Tifa is like the banner big thing to get, but it's like the way it's designed is strange or something. No Cowgirl Tifa banner. Maybe they, maybe oh. people like maybe people data mind it, but the the banner. Outfits oh, okay. right now are Cloud and Barrett. Cloud has this samurai thing from the closed beta, and Barrett also has like a samurai themed outfit. <laughs> That's also, uh, you know. Um, but no, yeah. there's no, there's no cowgirl Tifa right now in the sequel. Like, mo- okay, like uh, beta minded. I'm, I'm, I must have. Yeah, I think I people were saying that. there should be cowgirl. Tifa. Oh, okay. But, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely like, a, like a story event in Final Fantasy VII that flashbacks to Tifa right. and her cowgirl outfit. 
Um, you know, yeah, we, spoilers from Datamon, guys. We'll, we'll get in trouble, man. Hey, Final Fantasy VII came out like 80 years ago. I do think it's sort of weird how in Final Fantasy VII and all subsequent media, just like the fact that Tifa in the past wears like a vest and a cowboy hat, it's like no one ever like brings it up or mentions it. She just does. And like, well, I kind of like that. She just does. That's how she dresses. And like, no one else in the town does. Just her. Like, okay. But um, the the thing I'll mention to you, uh, Brian, is be prepared for a lot of as you progress to the game. It's like, oh, you did this story thing. Well, for the next twelve hours, we have a limited thing you can buy with real money, and it's only available for twelve hours. So if you don't want to miss out, if you don't want to get this. Five star no, guaranteed cloud weapon ticket. You could only get it for the next 12 hours. Just saying, after you beat this, you know, story stage, just saying. It's like, and it does this a lot. <laughs> and it's like, and there's like fucking, and it's monetized out the fucking ass, dude. It is disgustingly uh, monetized. I will, I will warn you that right now. On top of all, like, just like a lot of like packages that you can buy with real money that'll give you red crystals and you can also use those red crystals to either you know pull on the banner if you want or you can use those red crystals for other monetized things that you can buy and also every every 24 hours you can watch you know two ads for a little bit more blue crystals you know it's just like i remember i I remember those from uh near reincarnation yeah 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 I did it's, it for like two uh, or three days. I'm like, this yeah, is good. Uh, uh, oh, I I will boot it up and uh-huh. see how long see how long I last. All right, I I want to. I'm still. Uh, I I could I could still. I just need one more ten pull to get Cloud Samurai outfit, dude. I'm so close. Yeah, Maybe I'll just spoken. buy. I should buy crystals right now to do it right away. Spoken I'll like a true gotcha player. Have okay. you learned about no. the the real Sephiroth yet? Uh, we're gonna get to it soon, okay? Because it, through the first mission, the first mission, which was, uh, it, it was, it used to be a uh, free to play mobile battle royale that Square Enix uh, released and subsequently shut down like a year later. Um, this now there's the first mission content or the first soldier content in Ever Crisis with a brand new story around these three P zero class. Uh, characters and apparently once you complete the the story that's available in ever crisis you'll get a teaser for the next story chapter where you'll meet young sephiroth it can play as young sephiroth in it Ooh. so Ooh. is he not like a loser like his future self there becomes insane from going to the basement from reading i don't know you're gonna have to play you're gonna have to play the first soldier in ever crisis to find out i don't know i didn't get there yet so yeah, talk- I guess we'll yep. find out about the real Sephiroth then. I mean, you can. You just have to download Ever Crisis for the for the price of free, quote unquote, free on your mobile device, you know, or emulator, whatever you prefer. So, yeah, great. God damn, dude, that game is so monetized. It is so shamelessly monetized out the ass. I was like, oh. <laughs> like every Square Enix, gotcha, dude. It is so. Duh. All right, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, we do also have two other reviews. Um, George Angst swung by again and was able to write a review for RPG site for, I believe this is a science adventure, a visual novel, Anonymous Code. James will jump in and correct me if I'm right or wrong. Maybe it's not. What is Anonymous Code? All I know about this game is that it was in development forever, apparently. 
or like yeah, it is a science adventure yen it's uh, probably going to be the last one because i don't think it sold that great in japan and i'm glad this got localized i'm glad it got a dub i don't see this selling well <laughs> I, I did expect a price point i saw it on steam i was like oh it's a full price game. Um, yeah. and I, I, I'll get around to it when I get around to it, but not right now because I have other games to like get to. But it, it is a title this that... This was the that, worst time for it to release. And I yeah. don't know if, if there was like a good time for it to happen, but definitely not. This is probably... It, it is second place in like the worst time to release. The first place takes... Uh, the one that takes the cake is the Monochrome Mobius console release from East America. God... Uh, yeah, that um, came out this week, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, right right, right on the same day as Starfield, or, like, a day before Starfield. Yeah. yeah. So, so is that um, game basically, like, FF16 gone wrong? Basically, did all nothing but side quests near the end, where it ruined the entire facing of the game? What are you talking about? The monochrome, Mobius. I keep hearing, like, terrible things about the, that game of the side content. Look, you could read my review of the PC version I did last year. Look, I don't, I don't read reviews, guys. I just want to read reviews. He wants you to. He, he wants you to spoon feed him. He doesn't want to read. John doesn't read reviews. He watches just uh, outrage videos on YouTube. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Outrage about this time. You're getting fucking smoked, child. That's what I'm hearing. Okay. Uh, I will not have bullying on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember but, James saying that a lot of the pacing was weird in the game. Yeah, and I, apparently the way they changed it was um, they made it so that you can fast travel from any save point, not just uh, specific ones, which is useful. And uh, there was something else. Right, right. Uh, one of the problems was is that kind of because of like no fast travel also, uh, you have like a stamina meter for like running in the game. And they they basically like doubled it or something and like increased the speed that running did, which definitely helps too. Well, and, and I think they might have uh, changed some enemy HP values because I did did know like specific like uh, random mook enemies could like take forever. I don't think that fixed my main problem, which was with the menuing because it was like it's one of those games where it's like oh, okay, we're going to keep uh, unlocking skills for your party members as you go through it. But once you unlock skills, there's pretty much no reason to use anything that you had before. Because anything you unlock is like pretty much objectively better. And the way that you choose skills is it's just a list. And it's like... get And since new skills are added to the bottom of the list, every time you start a fight and it's like, okay, I want to start off with this one attack, it's like... You're tapping. You're 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 entering the skill menu, and then you're tapping a D-pad like ten times or something just to get to the one you want, like the ability you actually want to fucking use. That would drive me and, crazy. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. I'm I, glad I, I, I didn't die first, but I'll, I'll give it a try eventually. I mean, I, it's I not. Think- it's it's not bad. It has some good moments, and I'm sure, like, if I'm sure I'd be a lot more positive on it if I'd played it after they patched it up. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. but hey, that's not what they ship with, so you know it's not your fault. Yeah, yeah, that's what they ship with. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chow. Yes. You want to talk about Grand Blue, the uh, mobile I game do. or the browser game? So I, I do. I, uh, maybe I want to. Can we get into spoilers territory because this event is over? You can't play it. So okay, so spoilers for the limited time event that's uh, that wrapped up in Grand Blue Fantasy. However, 
many days or weeks ago. So it, it wraps are you saying, up are you saying that if I want to get into Grand Blue Fantasy, I will never be able to experience this? Yes. Yes, you'll have to wait a year probably before you get the experience. Wow, I love games and, and, and limited time events. I know, but that's <laughs> just the world we live in. I mean, there are some games that just do it just permanently, you know? They do do it permanently eventually when the event's old. But Okay, I, 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 I'm talking about games that actually uh, introduce new content and even collaborations and do it and just have it permanently after they add them. They don't have to wait like a year or something for me. Okay, Hankai Han Star Rail did that now. That's basically, good. Events are permanent, but if you didn't do it when it first came out, you basically don't get the max rewards. You okay, that's stupid. Like... Then. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it's like at least there is a fail save. At least I, 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 I keep that. The, the one I had in mind was another Eden, which does that. They still, they're, they're still doing that. Their collaborations are pretty much permanent, and all the stuff is permanent. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. child. Whatever. We're getting ahead of ourselves. What do you want to talk about with this? Okay. Okay. So I'm talking about this event called Unbound Asterism. It's uh, it's like the third series of the horoscope event. Um, this is basically, I I wouldn't exactly call it the third part. I I feel it's more like the second part because the first event is called Thousand Reasons. And that event feel like it had nothing to do with it. But the wiki say it's related, and the game say it's related. But I feel there was no connection with the first event. Uh, the first event was about this, kind of like this rich oil prince that started a fighting game tournament. Well, not like a fighting game, but like a fighting tournament. And it feels like a Street Fighter parody with all the UI <laughs> looking like Street Fighter and stuff. But that event was, I, I felt it had no relation to this series. But they say it is. I don't know how, but I, I guess it is. And so, we'll, we'll need like a little backstory. So, uh, I, I love this event a lot. So that's why I want to talk about it. The, okay. Not the thousand reason. Uh, the the second and and the third part, which is uh the f- second part's called Marinette Stars, and the third part's called Unbound Asterism. And Asterism is like. Oh my god, this story is so good. It kind of makes me like super hype about Relink in a way because I feel like if they got these writers for Relink, I am stoked. But I- I'm not sure. But they say they-, they got their A team on this 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 series. So um, basically, I in guess the... The pair, can I interrupt real quick? So Relink is being made by Psy Games Osaka. Now is that like totally independent from who makes the mobile game? Um, like, I, think I don't know. A, I don't know uh, side games is structure. I think that was a new company they formed up for for their console development. But well, I'm my not point is, sure, is like, I'm wondering if there's any overlap in writers at all. Uh, who know? Who knows? Because they have different uh, writers, right? I, I don't know if there's any. I, I highly doubtful that there's an overlap in writers because I think they're two de- separate development teams, and like I, I think they have a dedicated team for like ongoing services. For the Grand Blue Fantasy mobile browser game, and I, I think that's separate from side games with Saka uh, on that end. That's uh, that, that's what my educated guess is. But they got like a lot of different writers, so <laughs> I'm sure like if you play like a lot of events for the previous years, a lot of events been like hit or miss, and because a lot of events are not really good, they just keep making like sequels to like past events. Because well, do you like that event from back then? Well, we'll make a sequel to it because you you seem to hate a lot of our recent events because they're not really well written, right? And that's kind of like the state of Grand Blue in. But this event, it kind of gives me hope that it's like, hey, this team knows what they're doing. They got some kind of flare back to it. So, 
Uh, the second part of this event is about this, like, uh, was it these chairmen that collect weapons from the stars? I don't know what their main objective with it is, but they try and like follow the destiny from the stars, and it's a very dark event because it introduces like their like the main villain of this event called Farinad. And in the first event is like this character does not understand empathy at all, but he's trying to understand it. And and so the first thing he wants to do is he wants to have a family. He wants to understand what it means to have a family. So he immediately goes into this random uh, household. He kills the dad. And then he tells the family, I'm going to pretend to be your dad. Okay. And everything's going to be okay, guys. I just want to be your dad. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like how the event introduces himself, right? Hmm. Very uh, and normal they be- behavior. Yeah. And basically, they cooks the dad, and he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to eat your dad and be your daddy. Oh. Is that okay, guys?" Wait, and, and the girl was like, you know, like the daughter of that family is like, "It's like, damn, this guy's fucked up. What do I do?" <laughs> that she's and, very blasé that her dad was just killed and, and eaten. And then he's like, "Oh, it's like, why are you guys angry at me?" It's like, I don't understand. <laughs> he gets like very annoyed, and later on, he just kind of kills everyone there. And at the same time, when he kills that little girl, um, there's another girl that comes in this event uh, called Tico. She's uh, this doctor that has one of these weapons, too. And basically, in order to save that little girl's life, she basically uh, takes her soul into her staff. So that little girl that just died there is, became a part of her like weapon and part of her body. And this whole kind of arc is kind of like a revenge arc for this this doctor trying to kill this guy this guy with no emotions and he's he seems like he's trying to collect these weapons but at the same time he doesn't seem to understand like empathy and that's kind of like the f- first part of it the marinette stars from from previous years and basically in that event it's kind of like a shonen battle series it's basically she's trying to get to get to him and you basically fight this guy that he raised which is which? This guy's kind of like his son, but he just kind of like betrays him in the end because he needed the weapons from him, and his weapon is part of his arms. So he just kind of like cut off his arm, take the weapon from him, and that guy becomes traumatized and and kind of knocked out, and and that's kind of like how the first or like the second part of that series end. And now we're in the third part, which is the Unbound Asterism, and it introduces like a bunch of new characters that kind of like collects these weapons too, and. They're just kind of like part of the main character's crew. And I don't know. It's like everybody just seems to join the main character's crew. They don't care the backgrounds or whatever. But the third part of this event is kind of like organized by them because they want to trap them and get all the weapons from them. I don't know what they need the weapons for yet because the the spoiler the story doesn't go there. But these weapons can read people's emotions too. So the beginning of the game starts with uh, their airship being sabotaged, and they basically crash to this island, and they believe there's a traitor somewhere, but because they said that the weapons can read emotions and, and can kind of reflect past memories, they can't find who the traitor is, or they believe that, I don't know, there's it, it's like an inside job. They can't figure out who the traitor is. And there's one character that constantly loses his memories each day, and basically that's... Kind of like the red flag. I think that's like your biggest clue. I think, I think the problem with this, this that's just like a common RPG trope. That's kind of like, yeah. Oh. No. I think the problem with this part is like, you know, it's like those murder murder mysteries. 
you know, uh-huh. but the thing is, like, you can't guess who it is because you, you're missing this one crucial clue to it. If you get what I'm saying, it's like, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you like watch like recent like I don't know like Fruit of Pi. You know, it's like you can never solve the case because you're missing this one crucial case, and then the main character comes all galaxy brain and solve the case. Like, hey, look at this. It's like you did this and did this. You're the bad guy. Mm. But here you're missing this clue because you didn't know what one of the weapons can do, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's I think that's the only flaw that I find in that part of the story. But this event is actually like very violent for 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 a grand blue event there's like limbs being chopped up all the time uh like like we actually have our main characters limbs like like one of the main story characters in this getting their limbs chopped off mm. like non-stop okay. and they kind of just okay. re-glue it back together with their healing abilities oh, okay so i have a question it, like so this main character getting their limbs chopped, is there any permanent like sort of like consequences in into the main narrative then uh well, if she can't find her arm back, then yeah, she would lose it. But no, they didn't. There was no consequences for her. But I think when she got her limbs chopped off, uh, she basically, you know, that girl that I said that died at the beginning, that was being from that family incident. Uh-huh. Uh, her soul left left her body when she got her limbs chopped off because that's how she kind of takes down the final bad guy near the end. Because when her arm got chopped off, the ghosts from that arm basically went in and grabbed the other guy's body and he couldn't basically do anything and and that's how they could like chop off his limbs and he ran away i have a question are we yeah. still talking yeah, yeah. about grand blue i kind of got lost it is grand blue <laughs> okay. it has a lot of limbs chopping yeah. for some reason i, I, I mean grand blue, but... i i i guess like you know it, it's always hard for me to like kind of take any of these limited time events and mobile games or browser games or whatever seriously because like they often have no stakes, right? Because uh, they don't bring anything back to the main narrative that's interesting. Like anything that happens in it is self-contained because of its. It, it, yeah, it is self-contained, time. and I think if you play the story, the main character has the shittiest role in this storyline. Like, I I think like when it comes to events in Grand Blue, the best events are the one where the main characters are least involved. Like the self-insert main character that you have, Grand or Jita, whatever you like. If they're less involved, the better the story it is, usually. That's how it goes. Uh, what happened to the main character in this event is they get kidnapped from this rich guy, and they went missing for 90% of the chapter, and they come back when the rich guy let them out. <laughs> That's basically it. Okay. Uh, so, I know, I know. It sounds kind of stupid, but... Uh, I mean, guy... but, I mean if, you, if you said, like, that, like if, it probably was, like, meaningful at the moment, but, like, trying to describe these events to... Like you know, people. people who, it's very hard. Yeah, because yeah, right. like uh, they, they don't have, they don't have the emotional investment. They don't have the the sort of background understanding of like but, a lot of this stuff, right? But yeah, this this event has a very interesting villain. It's like a really dark. I think I think the best part of this event is this character that they had as a gotcha character that you get back then. No one really likes her that much. I think back then she was like a neat. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way to describe her. But she's like the best character in this event because she's like very blunt. Because like when people are like acting suspicious, she's like direct to their face, telling it's like, "Hey, you're doing, you're doing this just for your own emotion attachment." And I think one of the things that people complain about this event is this one scene because how the third part starts is like with these two little girls killing this guy, saying he's like, "We did the right thing, right?" Because they were trying to escape from this prison and they they basically brutally killed this one guy. And saying that they did the right thing trying to get out or something. And there's this one part in the event that everyone 
complained about in Reddit because these two girls, uh, they they're actually like one of the characters is playable, the other character is not, but she might become a good guy later on. But uh, it, basically, this one part, they go to a village, they were hungry, and they need and they ask the villagers, "Can I have some bread?" And it's like, "Yeah, sure, you can have this bread." And that's basically how the event goes. But the writing makes it questionable that she that she did something for that bread because the other girl was breathing very hard, being turned on, saying, oh, you would go this hard for me to get this bread. And what's our question this event? Because they keep thinking that the other girl whore herself out for the, for the bread. And some people think that she killed all the men to get the bread for the girl. And you think the reason why the Reddit fury goes up with the whore part is because that girl's mom was a whore. Because they were like, using that kind of reference in there. I don't know if... It's all it's all up to speculation, because this event kind of doesn't leave all those little details, but it's like, there's this one part just like that. I think. Uh, I, look, man, I, I, like I said, I, I guess, I, I, I don't know, I didn't see it for myself, I don't have the emotional investment, and I, I, on its face, I don't, know, I don't know if it's like a really compelling event to like describe from like the from from, an, from the outset, right? It's just like, I know it's hard to, it's hard to describe it, man. I'm yeah. saying there's this one part yeah. of the event that makes Reddit question what really happened, and that's where all the outrage from it, mm-hmm. because there's this one girl that's like, she sounded very turned on watching her killing all these guys or something. I don't know. It just sound like it's like you would do all this for the bread. It's like, oh man, I love you so much. It's like. But uh, at the end of it, she kind of betrays her, and that girl's trying to find her, and it kind of it has like the conclusion to these two girls, which which he'll kind of wait for a year because in the previous event, you would wonder if the other girl was lying to to everyone else about the relationship because she keeps talking about how close they were, and yet when you play the event, it's like this girl absolutely hates her, and she just doesn't seem to get the message, and. You wonder if she was lying this entire time, and I, I guess you get kind of like the conclusion to that part. But I don't know. Like I, I don't know. Like if there's a best way to describe this event, it is very brutal. It is lots of like mysteries. Like there's, there's kind of like I don't know. Like I think they're saving this event for the next anniversary event because recently, like all their event anniversary event is like connected to to like a different series. Like they did a, was it? They did the anniversary event of the society. Uh, society is like the. Um, do you remember Sada in the, in the fighting game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vasaraga. Mm-hmm. Like there are these group that hunt promo pieces, and their entire event is that they travel to outer space to the moon to fight these bad guys from the moon, and that was their their, their anniversary event, which is pretty epic. And I feel like they're just setting up this event to for fighting these bad guys that that all collect these like star weapons, the horoscope weapons. And yeah, I, I feel this event is like done way better than all the other events. News time? On to news. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. All right. All right. So like within like an hour of us recording our podcast last week, probably between when we finished the recording and before pu- uh, publishing it, um, this was right when like PAX was starting. This was the Saturday of PAX. I guess PAX technically started on Friday. It was Friday through Monday, I think. Or was it Thursday through Sunday? One of those. It was four days. 
Uh, but one of the big announcements from PAX that uh, you didn't cover in person, but we got the press release for um, last weekend was the re-reveal of a game that was announced a few years back and went very dark of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. This game has quite a history that I don't even know if I remember all the story beats of this. So it was originally like teases of like an augmented reality game and like a mobile app that appeared out of nowhere. And then uh, it was revealed that Paradox Interactive and Heartsuit Labs was going to make a sequel to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which was created by what? Troika, which disbanded soon after the game released the game, the original game released in kind of an unfinished state and had to have a fan patch to basically put it in a releasable, you know, state. And then it went dark. Uh, the Hartsu Labs was pulled off the project. There has been lots of rumors about who is on Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 now. Uh, it was officially revealed after it was kind of surmised by a few, you know, digital sleuths beforehand that British developer The Chinese Room is now developing Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. They are the developers behind like Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs, and Dear Esther. Uh, games that I'm not familiar with uh, directly, but games that are um, either favorably or unfavorably kind of described as like walking simulators sometimes. So there's been some feedback about, uh, oh, they're they're working on Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. I can, there's, you know, ranging from, oh, I can see it. That's a good fit to, oh, have they made an RPG before? Sort of like up and down the gamut. And then, of course, alongside this announcement, there is also an announcement trailer uh, which is more uh, vibe and tone rather than a lot of gameplay or cinematic, though it does have some gameplay in it. It's It looks a little rough, uh, I think, in terms of like, the animation, uh, but it does also look very similar to the game that we saw before the, the development pause a few years back. Uh, and it's supposedly slated to release in fall 2024, Though, if I had to bet money on it, I would feel like it's probably going to be pushed into 2025. It, it just seems a little bit um, far out still. Uh, more more than a year. Uh, but yeah, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 uh, still exists, still being made uh, now under the Chinese room. Yeah, this is... Um... You know, not, not not the most surprising thing based on like you know behind the scenes like murmurs and you know the people guessing as you as you said, but it is going to be interesting to see. listings and things yeah. like that. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be really. We knew it was going to be a paradox like partner studio. People looked in like, okay, who could it possibly be? Let's narrow it down. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, yeah, like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see how the final game shapes up with the, like a developer that's never really taken on a project of this scope. Um. You know, it's it's like a massive RPG sort of project, and has a lot of like inner workings of like a lot of like RPG mechanics at work, and that's something that based on like the the games that this uh, studio has worked on has never really delved into that. So I I really wonder how it's gonna all come together. I hope for the best. That'd be great. Like it's like if this game came out and became like a surprise phenomenon hit that just took the world by storm, that'd be fucking fantastic. But one. One thing no, that I do think gives it a little bit of uh, of promise is that one of the one of the best things it's not fully realized, but one of the things that I think is most interesting about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is yes, it's truly an RPG, but 
you only get like experience upon completion of quests, not yeah. from fighting or like yeah. grinding or anything like that. And the nice thing about that is like there are some games where it's like if you take the stealthy option or the non-lethal option or the the bypass the conflict option, then you're kind of shortchanging yourself because you don't get the exp from killing all the mooks or whatever. And I know I'm kind of so, uh, simplifying that, but one thing that Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines did that was really kind of clever, and this is back you know in what 2000. When did that game release? Um, earlier than that, maybe. Let me see. Yeah, I want to I mean, get this right. 2004. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, close enough. But and so that was just really smart at the time, where I was like, oh, you know, you're not you you figure out based on the way you want to role play in your RPG how you want to complete this objective, and then by if you complete the quest successfully, you'll get the EXP to level up. So, um, if if a game based on a studio that is more experience doing uh like narrative adventures that seems like it could possibly work of course the proof will be in the pudding once the game actually comes out whether they're able to you know thread that needle um one thing though that's on the other side of the coin though is back in what 2021 or so brian mitsoda to a bit of pomp and circumstance was one of the original writers on vampire the masquerade bloodlines which is a game whose story is usually kind of lauded as having some interesting ideas, even though if it might not come all together at the end, just due to the way the game released. Uh, he and a lot of the other creative team, there's another name that I'm blanking on right now, was like, they were like, un yeah, that's it. We're like unceremoniously like let go or fired. And um, now it's basically up in the air where any of the work that they did on the, the, the sequel is going to show up in the game at all which I know is a bit of a bummer to fans of the original game. People who haven't played the original are only interested in the new game uh, because they weren't old enough or because they you know, weren't around at the time. Uh, might not have as much of an investment in that, but it is, it's just kind of a bummer. It's like, oh, they brought the original writer back to, to work on the sequel to make sure that it had kind of the same you know, look and feel, and now we, had, we have no, no idea if that's still the case anymore or yeah. if any of that work will make it into the sequel. The, the cynical way to look at it is, oh, this is just some other publisher and some other developer taking the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines name and making a game that has absolutely nothing to do with the original and nobody's, you know, there's no connective tissue at all, nothing. It's just them just using the name for visibility or whatever. And the fact that Minnesota was there originally gave, gave it sequel, that credibility. Yeah, yeah, gave it legitimacy. And now that's not there. You've lost that, that tie. Or it's like, okay, does this game have anything to do with the original in any dimension, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And we can say that some of the people are being, I don't know, like pessimistic about this news, but I can't exactly blame them considering like, I don't know. No, I, I mean, yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, clearly a very cut and dry case of development hell. And we, I mean, obviously we hope they come out on the other side and this game is, you know, really good and quite special and forms a good cult following or greater just like the original did. Uh, but I, you know, the skepticism I don't think is unearned. It's a bit, it's interesting because we don't see this sort of thing very often. And oftentimes once it does come out the other end, I'm thinking like Duke Nukem Forever and a few other titles. <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah. exactly a, a sterling. But uh, sterling story. I think, I think what makes this really intriguing, like also is because it's not something that was thrust upon to the Chinese room. It's like Chinese room actually proposed like their vision of, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. What the fuck does that look like? And uh, we'll get the answer sooner uh, sooner than later, you know? We'll, we'll get it. See what, what they had in mind for this game, what their vision was. 
and they, you know, they're, 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 they're shooting the shot at it. So we'll see how, the, how it comes together. But I, I, def- I, def- I, def- I definitely, uh, you know, people have every right to be skeptical, for sure. I do under, I, like, I'd, I'd, that'd be something I'd be really interesting in, like, picking their brains on. Like, imagine you're a developer at the Chinese room you're working on. I don't know what their more recent titles are. Um, are, they, are they under a Paradox studio? Like, do, are they owned by Paradox, or do they just partner with them? I think they're actually. I think there's a Tencent connection in here somewhere. Let me see. Uh, it's kind of weird. Video game company and publisher relationships are really hard to find. But anyways, just 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 imagine. Um, oh, I guess they're a subsidiary of Sumo Digital. Okay. And Sumo uh, Digital is uh, Paradox owned, right? Last I check. God, finding the links to like who is a subsidiary of what, of who Sumo owns what. Sumo Digital is a subsidiary of Sumo Group, which is a subsidiary of Tencent. Oh my god, okay, okay. great. Thank you. So but anyway, imagine your Paradox I'm... connection is here. Uh, yeah, so, but imagine you're a developer at the Chinese room. Uh, you're a fan of video games, probably. You see the announcement of Vampire the Masquerade, and you either are or aren't interested in Bloodlines 2. And then you learn, like, oh... We could work on that because of that's the way that you know the, the pieces fell. Like, and then imagining like being in that boardroom to like let's draft our like proposal to, to get us get us on this game. Uh, that'd be really interesting to like. I hope we get the opportunity to ask about that. That'd be that'd be kind of just see how the kind of what we can glean from the other from the other side of how how that comes to be. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines Two re re revealed at PAX West. Got a trailer for it, and supposedly slated for fall twenty twenty four. Actually, I just went onto the Chinese Room website, and they say Bloodlines Two is, does not have a release year, which is sort of funny. Oh, well, Paradox, 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 says, Paradox. Says next year, and they're like, "Wait, well, you don't well, know yet." Don't, don't it'll come out when it comes out, maybe? Question mark. Um, uh, oh, man, can you imagine? Like, it just. Can you imagine if something happened to this game again, which like which yeah. made it go like just come out or, or put it in a state of inde- indefinite hiatus again? Mm. Oh boy! There was one other RPG announcement in the last week. This one, I think, kind of came out of nowhere. It was originally an IGN exclusive premiere, as we've talked about in the past. How they publishers and smaller smaller publishers will partner with IGN just for the visibility. Um, it is a uh, isometric, grim, dark, medieval fantasy RPG. Apparently, it's like explicitly described that way, called Beast. Um, as far as I know, this is an original IP. The publisher is False Prophet. It's actually it's self-published. Uh, we got a new cinematic trailer for this. Um, I tried watching this, but like the uh, the backing vocal is very like three edgy five me. And so, and so is the game itself. Uh, so it's a, it's a like grim, like they explicitly described as grim, dark, medieval fantasy. It's kind of got this like pseudo screamo backing accompanying music track, uh, lots of blood and guts and uh, like demons and things like that. And like, oh, okay. Set in like the fantasy dark ages of some sort with lots of like monsters and things like that. Uh, slated for uh, 2024. Um, We'll the keep the, the box it. art that they have for Steam is just like a person with like blood on their face, like screaming in rain. It's like okay, <laughs> that's uh, we go check very, that very, oh, yeah. very, yeah. very yeah. edgy. <laughs> so, uh, I well, congrats on like getting the beast name for a video game. I guess all in caps. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought I don't know if that's the best for SEO though. 
I mean, I I would have thought that a game was already named Beast before, like an old video game. But I guess not. Maybe I don't know. I, I feel like Mr. Beast is going to steal that. <laughs> all, all I think about is, as uh, um, remember, Bloodborne was uh, was leaked as Project Beast before, like the. Oh yeah, uh, the that does sound familiar. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I. That's I mean, obviously this gives nothing like it, but that's what I think of when I think of Beast in video games. Uh, I don't know. There's the I. Mm, hopefully, one the the actual OST in this game is not as I don't know. Um, um, there's not disturbing, but intrusive, and two. Um, the battles. Like, ho- hopefully, we get more direct feed of like that, or uninterrupted direct feed footage of like how battles work in this game because it kind of seems okay from the snippets in the trailer. My it gives me a, it gives me a little bit of a weird West vibe, only uh, medieval. Uh, <laughs> yes. That game was interesting, but not great. So it'd be great if this like they show this memberment in this in, in in this um trailer right for the battles. Hopefully. If they had like some sort of like, if dismemberment was like a big thing about the battle system, like oh, if you like dismember a person's legs, they could no longer move or something. At all. Yeah, um, cool. it seems like it's a dismemberment podcast today. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I, I feel dumb that I forget this, but what was the visual novel that we talked about like three or four months ago, where it starts out with a person getting like dismembered and then they put them back? Hime. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, that's just that's just how it goes. It's 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 in vogue. Yeah. yeah, dismemberment, big, 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 big time for dismemberment. I guess happens in Chaos Child too. There you go. <laughs> um, also, kind of announced early uh, within the PAX weekend, pretty sh- shortly after our last podcast went up, uh, we got a little bit, just a tease of what's coming down the pipe for the future of Final Fantasy 16. Remember that game? Feels like it came out forever ago. I just uh, hates it, dude. I, 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 only, I, only have, uh, I only have room in my mind right now for RPGs, so I do not remember this game. Ooh. Ah, bird. <laughs> so, uh, two, two, be- uh, sorry, two pieces of news that came out of um, packs for Final Fantasy 16. Well, actually three. Uh, the first, I'll just say that the PC version was officially announced not with any details, but just that they're working on it. So not a really a surprise. Um, they also, uh, Yoshida announced that they are working on two installments of paid DLC. Um, we kind of f- figured that they're at least working on one. I guess they're working on two. We have no idea if this is going to be epilogue stuff in uh, like mid- mid-game stuff. Okay, we don't know. Prequel. Yeah, like... Just two pieces, at least as far as I know, like in terms of like the announcement from PAX, I don't know if there's anything else that's come out in an interview and another like publication or anything like that. As far as I'm aware, we don't really have any other details about what these two pieces of paid DLC are or timeline, though Yoshida did say that we'll get more information before the end of the year, which we're in the back half of the year. So I mean, it's not too long in the next month or so we should get some more information about this DLC. And that'd, then, be, that'd be really cool. If it was like uh, like new playable characters at the DLC. That'd be that's something I'd be interested in. I'm like, I, like, I mean, I don't, cool, I, don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't hate 16. It's just, you know, it's I'm, a very up and down game. It has <laughs> some very high moments and some very low moments. Yeah. So, but, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but I, I, I'd be interested to see how these, like, this, these two paid DLCs shape up. I'm uh, not saying like, like the most enthusiastic, but it's just like, okay, let's see what you can do with it. And then also launched uh, at the time it was announced. 
um, a new free DLC, like a free update, I guess not DLC update, whatever, a free patch for um, Final Fantasy 16, uh, a pretty minor one, all things considered, uh, kind of had three things. One, it gave a new outfit for Clive, Jill, and Torgal. Two, it gives you the access to a new sword early on in the game called the Onion Sword. I, I, I Googled this to see like what it was, but apparently you unlock it just from like, uh, you know, like any game with like pre-order DLC or whatever, you like redeem it from the menu. Yeah. And it's apparently it's just like that. You get to a certain point past the prologue and then you just redeem it like, oh, so it's not like incorporated as a quest or anything. You just get the Onion Sword. Yeah. And then three, uh, this was more exciting to some people than others, but now the game for at least for the weapon, uh, has kind of like a glamour wardrobe system where any weapon that you've um, gathered, you can now skin your current weapon to look like. So you, once you get ultimate weapon, it doesn't have to look like that. You can look like any of the of the um, dominant weapons like that you get. Because normally in the game, you get the dominant weapons, but you like immediately craft them into like something else, so you don't once, get to really like yeah. appreciate them. One small correction: uh, apparently, he said mm-hmm. that there's new there's new outfits for Joshua and the Chocobo, whose name I forget as well. They just Ambrosia, like, oh, yeah, bro. Ambrosia. They didn't, like they didn't show them though. I'm sure. Oh, okay. I just I'm the, I'm, I'm looking at the gallery here, yeah. and I and I see the other ones, but yeah, I didn't see those. Okay, so there's there's a more more cosmetic changes for those, and I'm the sort of person that when a game has outfits. Or like I almost always stick with the default outfit because usually it makes the most story sense. I don't care that you oh Jill's outfit looks kind of neat, like her new one, but doesn't change her role in the story at all. If I've got a clown outfit, I'd actually change. I kind of I I like these sorts of outfits more, you know, that are like almost like an alternate character design rather than like here's the school outfit and here's the samurai outfit. So I think we've talked about this before. The three (laughs) the three common outfits that you find there's school Mm -hmm. swimsuits. Uh And like medieval or not medieval, like warring states, Japan themed. Yeah, yeah and those are always the three like flavors you get. I don't, I don't care for those. Like, I'd rather have like a more. Bespoke and then, you want to know, you want to know the 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 game that I thought of when you like described those three common ones. What? Fuga. Yeah, it, I think those are literally the three in that game. Yep. <laughs> Wait, that game um, has yes. Yeah, both, both yes. of those games have. As cosmetic DLC, <laughs> yep, oh. that is which is really kind of fucking weird for that type of game. <laughs> That's at least it's so, uh, it, it, it is so out of place. <laughs> it's like why? I get it, but also why? <laughs> oh man, they just have the cosmetic DLC because it's easier. Yep. Uh, so. You know what? I I wish they do the thing that they had from the Final Fantasy VI hacks. Uh, there's a there's a Final Fantasy VI hack called the T hack. It's like a very massive hack that's like larger than the game itself. And one of the things you could do is you could swap the like the character swipes to like yeah, like Amino art or like the official sprite art. It's like something like that. You know, I wish I'd do something like that. Okay, but do they have schoolgirl portraits though? No. Okay. Not not worth it. Who cares about schoolgirls? It's a swimsuit where it's at. <sighs> so I mean, I. It's kind of, I guess, cool that they're still supporting this game, and it's not, it's not the one and done. We'll see. Huge for transmogrified people, though, for people who hated the fucking uh, designs of later game weapons, which is why I didn't like the later game weapon designs. In general, I'm trying. I'm trying to be like charitable. Like I don't get a lot of value out of like that sort of thing. But at the same time, the fact that you don't really get to appreciate like the work that went into like the weapon models for like the yeah. dominant weapons. Like oh, now you now you can like have like the you know Garuda 
sword or whatever, like, and actually use it for a bit and get to appreciate it a little bit more. And, you know, a lot of work went into that. Yeah. I feel like a problem is, like, you upgrade your weapons so fast in the game that you don't really appreciate the design of the old ones. It'll be like, oh, I got a new well, weapon already. I, you you either upgrade it so fast or you get a weapon and then you don't get anything for, like, five hours of gameplay. And, like, I'm, I, I have, I'm getting all this, like, materials and I don't have anything to use it on. I, I kind of feel bad for the design team that they drew so many weapons for the game with so many different skins and they just get replaced, like, with, like, two minutes of screen time because their stats were too shitty or something. Look, that adds value to like the, the official art book, okay? If the official art book actually has like the concept designs of like every single sword design, that'd be really cool. Yeah, you you get your one thousand magic ash and your two hundred sharp rock or whatever, and you never get anything to spend them on, and you like it. Sorry, I'm being a bit snarky. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe the DLC will address it. There we go. We'll be we'll be optimistic. Uh, we have a few other updates from some other upcoming games. Uh, we have one that is a blog post from Square Enix for the December. Uh, release of Dragon Quest Monsters the Dark Prince. So Square Enix is one of the few publishers that still does these like big detailed blog posts, which is kind of neat. Um, talks about the different ways you recruit monsters in this game, how you can have like a roster of... Um, so obviously the main point of comparison here will be like, again, it's a kind of another Dragon Quest Monsters spinoff, which the most recent one was Dragon Quest Treasures. Uh, and talks about how you can have a roster of eight monsters, you know, four in active, four in reserve, how you recruit them. Um, it talks about some of the cameos or other characters you'll see from other games, like apparently uh, Crystalinda and another character from Dragon Quest XI will well, make Crystal an appearance. Crystalinda is not really a character. It's more of a yeah. monster. Right. Just a witch monster. Um, we'll make an appearance in the game. Uh, and obviously just a whole bunch of screenshots of the different monsters. Um, so, Platy Punk. Yeah, that, I was, I, I was going to say, like, that one's cute. I want to give it a hug. <laughs> it reminds it reminds me of the uh so i haven't played a lot of dragon quest games i played 11 and treasures is pretty much it and that, it reminds me of the uh um what are they called the little fuzzy birds in um skyward sword oh i know you're oh, talking about like, like the, 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 the little kiwi uh, the little kiwi dudes are they called they're, they're fun i don't know oh, kiwi dudes. <laughs> skyward sword fuzzy birds <laughs> i'll just name it the fruit loops box apparently they're thing. called kickweeds <laughs> Kikwi. Oh, there you go. See, my, my memory is sort of working. Anyway, so uh, uh, some some details that we we kind of put the key details from the blog post over on our site for um, Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince. A couple new trailers for a upcoming September release coming out in like less than a week. Um, this is Lies of P. Both of these are gameplay focused trailers, specifically targeted around weapons. The first one is called as it described, weapon showcase gameplay. Um, main thing here is that it talks about like the, the handle blade uh, mechanic where you can kind of switch, like you can have like a sword blade with a glaive handle and things like that and how those kind of interact together. So a little bit of a gameplay wrinkle there that's not in um, other souls. Yeah, like rather like than just picking of... up different weapons, you have like, yeah, like you said, a handle and a blade and that way now you have so many dozens or hundreds of combinations instead. So... And then the second trailer, they call it the Legion Arm gameplay. Like, I had to, I'd uh, look into mechanical... this, like, what does this mean? It's apparently your offhand. So your weapon's in your right hand, and this is your left hand. Legion oh, yeah, Arms. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to describe it. Uh, I read through the press release and looked through the trailer. I was going to describe it. It's like, oh, it's like this game's magic. It's like your other, um, yeah. your other, your other, your other combat, you know, mechanic here. 
Uh, and then the, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good you know straight raw gameplay footage from these trailers, which I always appreciate. Um, they still do hide the UI though, which is always kind of a. I, I think it's really kind of cool and kind of funny they do like before upgrade and after upgrade. They showcase that um, aspect of it. Yeah, the, the text that they do is kind of interesting. Like the blade, which is in blue text, plus the handle, which is in orange text. It just, I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting, it doesn't seem like it fits the, like, the color palette of the, uh, um, of the actual footage. You want edgy font text on it. Yeah, and I want Screamo alongside as well. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Liza P, for me, definitely a game where if it was releasing in another month, I'd be into, but, like, it's like, all right, I'll get to it later, just because September yeah, is too packed. I feel exactly the same way. It's like, I'm interested in this game, but why did it have to release now? <laughs> Any other time? And then this one is just a very uh, minor update. Uh, Mary Skelter Finale is coming to Steam this month on September 13th. So Idea Factory just released a PC footage gameplay trailer um, ahead of the release next week for that. Into some final bit pieces of news uh, for like sales updates and things to look forward to. Um, the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series, which of course just semi-recently made its way to consoles finally, has topped 3 million copies um, total sold. All right, it sold as much as FF16. Yeah. Well, the problem is it's a very imbalanced data. It's like, what game sold the most in of all six? It's all six combined, but... Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's all six across PC, mobile, <laughs> PS4, and Switch. Look, so, Cal. It's a group effort, okay? It, it, it's it's one for all, not all for one, okay? Or No, I want to say that 6 is the best. <laughs> so so the, the console versions launched in April. In May, they announced 2 million, and now here in September, they announced 3 million. So maybe you could do some sleuthing to say, like, oh, uh, a little over 1 million are from the console release out of 3 million. Um I don't know. It's a little bit of guesswork and a little bit of uh, just trying to dig or read between the lines. But three million, I, I have no context to know if that's what they expected, <laughs> or you know, uh, is that good or is that bad? Don't know. On par with Final Fantasy sixteen. I am for FF seven Pixel Remaster. I would, I would do that. You can always play the NES uh, D <laughs> from the Chinese. <laughs> you get you get Ever Crisis and you like it. Hmm. Um, R is not disagreeing. Does anyone here play R Knights or is that just Zach? Um, just Zach. There's a large community for it. People love yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Josh too, or uh, the other Josh T Josh on the too. site. That, that, <laughs> yeah, the other the other Josh T on the site that uh, contributes uh, news and other articles. Um, also plays Arc Knights, I believe. But I, I don't um, care for it. It's, it's, it's mostly it's mostly some people. It's mostly something yeah, on our Discord. The, the, the fact that they, the way they worded, I keep thinking it's Art Knights, but okay, Arc Knights, I apologize. Uh, Arc Knights is getting a Monster Hunter crossover, or I guess it already did. This was published a few days ago. Uh, Monster Hunter crossover with Arc Knights uh, started on September 7th. We're recording this on the 9th. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, this this is a, the next one here is one that I had to read. Uh, Josh, too, wrote this one as well. Uh, it says Dan Matchy Battle Chronicle will launch on PS4 and PS5 in 2024. Apparently, this is the console release of Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, which originally released on PC and mobile. Yeah, I, uh, barely, so, so I think... barely know this series. I know like the long title in English is Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, but then the shorthand version is Don Machi. Oh, yeah, 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 because like the, the, the Don Machi is an abbreviation for an even longer title. 
I, I feel that that's one of the stupidest titles ever because the show has nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's a well, yeah, it's a but, typical uh, Japanese light novel titling. Yeah, that's that's stupid. But the the, the the Battle Chronicle is a mobile game that came out not too long ago. I want to say like maybe a month or so ago. Um, I I, I secretly briefly tried it out, and I was like, this game sucks. I, I, um, we got we got a funny yeah. we got a funny press release on this. It's uh, uh-huh. I'm gonna post like the title in the chat. Where it's, okay. It's just no. It's it's only it's. I don't know if this is funny. I think it's funny. It's like media alert. Don Crow, which is the uh, I guess like the shorthand version of the title. Don Crow reaches number thirteen in sales ranking. Like hell yeah, we're number thirteen. <laughs> oh my god, that's so. That's sad, dude. <laughs> press release you put on. It's a, it's like at least at least Ever Crisis, even though it's I think it the monetization sucks. At least at least the press release is like we reached like two million downloads, three million downloads, four million downloads. We're number one ranking in this region's store. You know, it's like I okay, can't whatever. judge what what thirteenth place is without knowing what is twelfth place and fourteenth place. Then I could judge it. <laughs> hey, yeah, there you go. Um, that's I I guess, but yeah, I mean, for people who are looking forward to this game, it's like great. I I tried it out a little bit. It I don't know. It it's not my type of game. It's a it's an action RPG mobile gotcha game that is kind of boring. And I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the source material either. So that also contributes as well. Looking forward, like I mentioned at the top of this podcast, um, obviously late in the month, starting on September 21st, is Tokyo Game Show. Um, Kite did put up a feature on the site that is basically a list of the RPG-related live streams. Uh, In order, starting on the 21st, it looks like Microsoft is one of the first ones to go. Uh, Potentially one place, like Adam said, we might see Metaphor ReFantasio from Atlas. Um, 505 will be there, likely to see Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes, which got delayed into 2024. Um, Sega Atlas going to be focusing on soon impending games that are already announced, like like a Dragon Gaiden, Persona Three, and Persona Five, um, Three Reload, and Five Tactica. I, One I thing we didn't mention earlier, that, uh, Josh yeah. mentioned that he he didn't check out Tactica at PAX just for out of yep. you know, mm-hmm. uh, just opp- a lot opportunity, of no opportunity cost. He just had other things, and uh, one person in our Discord even was like, "Hey, why didn't you guys check out?" Of course, the one game that I did yeah, the one game I decided not to check out. So I was like, "Where's Tactica?" Guys, like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, look, James will check out Tactica at TGS. Yeah, I believe in him. So he's gonna say, "No, I missed my chance," and then (laughs) I'll do the same thing. (laughs) So I mean, he's gonna get carried away by the Monster Hunter stream or something. Uh, Level five will have a um. Uh, stream, and yeah. we'll see games like Megaton Musashi, uh, Deca Police, which was announced about a year ago at this point. It was when Level Five like announced uh, like four games. I don't think that was a year ago. I think, was was like, I, think, I think that was earlier this year. This was supposed like, to be the year of Level Five. Yeah, I think uh, it was like March, wasn't it? March, yeah, March. Yeah, sorry, not, not, not quite a year ago, half a year ago. I, yeah. I can't keep track of time. Look, look, uh, I'm, all, I'm, all I'm saying is Level Five announced a shit ton of games earlier this year, and they say it's coming in 2023, and we're in September. And no level five game is coming. Well, well, both Fantasy Life and Deck of Police are playable at TGS. So, have a few months left. We Let's got see. comments. They highly recommend Fantasy Life. We should check it out someday. Remember, it uh, remember, 
They said Grand Blue Relink was going to come out this year, and then they said know. Grand Blue Relink was going to come out twenty nineteen. Well, look, if we're going by fiscal year, then technically, uh, you, okay, you don't have you, you don't announce Winter twenty twenty three to the public, <laughs> right? You, when you say Winter twenty twenty three to the public, there's a certain time frame that you probably expect it to come out. You yeah, don't, you I don't, know. You, you don't say twenty twenty three fiscal fiscal year to, to the public when you announce it. It's okay. It's fine being delayed. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with being delayed. I'm just saying, for level five, they said a lot of twenty three. Level five is also sort of interesting in that their English localization team, they had a, I think they're called like level five Abbey, if I remember correctly. They don't exist anymore, at least as far as I know. And so it's sort of curious, like, who is localizing this? I think some of the more recent games, it was almost like Nintendo took on the, the publisher role. I'm talking by more recent, I mean, like literally three or four years ago with, uh, snack world and Yokai watch three. That was a 3DS game, so probably more like five well, years ago. Well, Snack World was still localized by Abby. It was just published by Nintendo. Uh, so, but yeah, like now that Abby doesn't exist anymore, I'm just, it's like, and we know that. Yeah. We know that. And to be clear, um, like. We some... know that these games, at least Deca Police, is also coming out for PlayStation. So I'm just sort of curious, like, yeah. who is localizing these? Is it, do they have, like, just freelancers yeah. that they just, maybe? I don't know. No clue. Um, and I guess for some inside baseball, like we literally don't know who to contact. They like yeah, there's no point for TGS. Right. Yeah. So it's just I don't know. I, I imagine it's a lot of people, except for like the very small few, are just running in circles. Yeah. Like for, uh, to, to, to be stuff. clear, for people who are listening, <laughs> when we want to talk to Square Enix or Sega or any English companies, Japanese companies, uh, there's always like a PR team or a person or a contact that we can talk to and like for requests, for questions, uh, clarifications, whatever. But level five, it's like no idea who we would even send yeah. an email to. Like, absolutely no idea. That's why yeah, we're all my... putting our hopes and dreams on James to get this info. Uh, TGS yeah, directly. yeah. Yeah. Basically, I'm, I, I, I could email like the Japanese like uh, email directly, but. They're advertising that this stuff is playable, like with an English website. So I'm assuming somebody there I can like talk with, yeah. hopefully. So we'll we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll wait for your report, James. We're all saluting you and giving you the best of luck on that. Yep. Uh, Koei Tecmo will be there with two games that we've talked about in this podcast a few times over the last couple of months: uh, Fate Samurai Remnant and Atelier Resloriana. Uh, Capcom, James talked about he was interested in seeing them. Big titles for them are, of course, Monster Hunter Now and Dragon's Dogma 2. Hoyoverse will be there. Uh, obviously, like Genshin Impact and Honkai Star Royal are both seemingly like evergreen titles from this point forward. Uh, then, of course, the, the upcoming Zenless Zone Zero uh, is one that we're interested in seeing more information about. Um, Square Enix. Oh, yeah, not Chow. But... Fuck that, Chow. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't see any interest in it. <laughs> we got a comment section like, how can you dislike this? Yeah, like, last week's podcast, or maybe it was two no. podcasts ago. I, I think it was two ago, because I wasn't here. Because Chow was like, um, uh, oh yeah, I don't, I, I, you weren't here, right? Yeah, and Chow said it doesn't look good. And someone was like, how can you think that? It's like, okay, it reminds me of the combat in Genshin, but taken to extreme. But I don't really care for the combat for Genshin. I just like the exploring part of it. So I just do Spiral Abyss to get my free gems. <laughs> uh, Square Enix will obviously have a big uh, showing there. They're going to focus on games like Star Ocean, the second story, R, um, Dragon Quest Adventure of Die. Because uh, obviously they're going to. I heard you know, Square Enix doesn't up. have Rebirth in their lineup. How dare they? 
What the fuck? The, 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 the answer is, is they always add stuff later. Yeah. Um. Also, a uh, power wash simulator. Hell yeah. All right. Finally. <laughs> there you go. So, power wash simulator might unironically be their most successful game of the last couple of years. They are probably not wrong, to be honest. Uh, no. uh, Foam Stars, uh, Final Fantasy XIV will get a look in, and of course, like their upcoming releases like Adventure of Die and um, Dragon Quest Monsters 3 that are current. I keep forgetting that Die is coming out, and pretty soon. Is that another September release? I forget. Yes. Yes. Damn it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Bound and Amco will be there with um, uh, Blue Protocol, of course. That recently is that that out out in Japan? Japan. Yeah, yeah, out in Japan, coming early next year uh, in the West. Played a bit of it at uh, Summer Games Fest. Um, Last recollection: uh, Tales of Arise will have its second anniversary, like during TGS. So put your bets on how they might celebrate that. Like an anime, uh, and then make a a sequel anime covering a game that's not out yet, like the like the mysterious and, anime. And then uh, Sandland, which is well, we talked about that when it was announced um, uh, earlier on the, the Summer Game Fest time, based on the Akira Toriyama one shot manga. We'll have an appearance at TGS as well. I, I here here's what I think about the Tales of Arise thing. They're gonna make a new Tales mobile game, but it's only for Arise characters. It's Arise focused centric, and it's totally gonna work this time. It's totally gonna work this time. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Yeah, they 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 also celebrated the Tales of Arise second anniversary on social media with like new artwork and stuff like that. And then for the Japanese account, they're like, yeah, well. Join us for they the also, second anniversary. Uh, thing of they also celebrated the 1,000 days yes. of uh, yeah, Scarlet yeah. Nexus. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah. The Scarlet Holy Nexus. Uh, the Scarlet Nexus producer director uh, Kenji Anabuki, which we've said before, who's he's our a bro. bro? He's a bro. <laughs> um, he basically said on Twitter in English, uh, "I hope to make a sequel one day," which is sort of on one hand, it's like, "Hey, he wants to make a sequel." Well, on the other hand, it sort of seems to imply that they're not already making one. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, hey, they we've talked before when that game released. There are lingering plot threads. And they yeah. even kind of teased the direction a sequel would go, which is spoilers to the moon. Um, but, yeah, we'll it's see. It's always the moon. Yeah, the 1,000 days, I guess Anabuki has been like posting Scarlet Nexus daily on uh, social media, he's on Twitter, I guess. And like, yeah, he's very always enthusiastic about like, you know, talking about Scarlet Nexus and just generally like a person, <laughs> to be honest, like, you know, like he has like the, he has the most unwavering, like belief in Scarlet Nexus's success, which just like, you know, has seen a level of success for sure. But he's like, like he just has like unwavering belief in that project and like that IP, which is like kind of a little bit aspiring to see. It's like that's cool that like yeah. yeah. I wish anyone believed in me as much as he believes in his game. That's true. So whenever <laughs> that is so very when, true. when Scarlet Nexus was coming out and we were covering you know the updates, the news, the trailers, and whatnot, he would reply to every single update. And he'd be literally like, thank you for covering this. I hope you all enjoy Scarlet <laughs> Nexus. Uh, and here's like a screenshot that you know, I'm a fan of. And it's like, that's why he's a bro. Oh, like, you just like never it. see that from directors. And especially from a Japanese director speaking in his second language, you know, or writing in his, you know, not his native language. Like, it's very admirable. Look, Aruki, I played Scarlet Nexus and I really liked it. 
and I hope for your further success from it. Okay, that's that's my official message. Uh, I, look, whenever Sonexus is still brought up at my friend circle, like we still have like pretty fond memories and like just jo- like joking about like our time with it. Like, is there some goofy stuff like Babe, for example? We just mm-hmm. ping each other saying Babe anytime Sonexus is brought up. Well, so it, I, I, I opened up his Twitter page and I'm just scrolling. He's retweeted maybe like 20 pieces of artwork from other fan artists for the thousand day countdown. Like, like there's a following here. It's kind of fun. I'd love to see a sequel one day. I mean, they pretty much queue one up, so it's like you would think it would eventually happen. Oh. Well, you know, I mean, I, I hope for Bandai Namco to greenlight a new dot hack thing, and you know, I'm still here waiting too. You you get Sword Art Last Recollection, and say, yay. And the last piece of news we have here, maybe not a surprise, but um. E3, which before it got canceled in 2023, was partnering with ReadPop, which is the same people behind uh, PAX and other you know live exhibi- exhibitions, are parting ways. So ESA and ReadPop are not going to be uh, working on E3 for 2024. And in E3. addition to that, the Los Angeles Convention Center will not be hosting E3 2024. So I th- as far as I can tell, we E3 are at is E3 now partnering with a graveyard. E3 E3 2024 might happen but if it does it's not with ReadPop and it's not going to be at the LA Convention Center can we appreciate that uh, Jeff Keeley had had the tweet on lock just on lock (laughs) yeah it seems like every time there's like E3 related news stuff coming out Jeff Keeley is on social media like immediately like announces something about next year's event or something (laughs) (laughs) this time i missed it but i I guess i i guess i think summer games fest is still happening next year or something like that like yeah we're we've locked down we're gonna be back at los angeles for summer games Fest. i see on the 7th which i think is the day this came out he's like next june summer game fest return to los angeles like yeah (laughs) they're like upselling them man Look, uh, Keely is really funny about that stuff because you know he he is definitely trying to be like you know the substitute or the replacement for E3. Trying to be, know. he already is. But, he yeah. already is. Yeah, he already is. But yeah, but um, it's um, you know, the, the, the one this wouldn't be the first time. Like if if E3 is held next year at another place, it wouldn't be the first time they aren't at LACC. They, I think they 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 were like at some Santa Monica warehouse um one year, I believe. Uh, for E3, so it wouldn't be the first time they were not at LACC. Um, two, uh, fucking, I don't know. This is like the the the, the pop partnership uh, with ESA, like kind of bored to nothing. Uh, like e- even when they were like planning it out, they had like the, remember the the first year they were planning it out. Like they they the, there was some E3 talk of like having like some sort of like activation and like oh, having like like these events like in bubbles or whatever. And it's like, what the fuck is going on with E3, man? And it's like, that didn't really... And then that they eventually uh, made that an online-only event, I believe, at that... Not this year, but like... Was it last year or two years ago? I forgot. But the way that they were talking about an in-person E3 then was like, this sounds fucked up and not really what we're used to. Obviously, probably mostly on ESA's end, like, pushing that stuff. So... um, Obviously, E3 didn't happen this year, and ESA obviously is still very insistent that it does because it's like it brings them a lot of money. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, who fucking knows at this point what the fuck if E3 is coming back? And I, I think, I think for most of the people, for most people, they're like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay that this doesn't come back. I don't know. What a weird thing. It's uh. But then you also get like a lot of like the the paxes are bigger than ever. You have like the the the, like the comic cons, of course, yeah. keep having a, a greater and greater like video game influence. And you have like the the smaller tier local cons like Denver Comic Con and like MomoCon in Atlanta that all have a bit a greater and greater gaming. And like I do think like the in per- there's we're not lacking for in person events. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just like once again like the main value of E3 at this point is just having. Having everyone at one place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for like a week. That's like the main value of E3. So you can like have, start doing like, you know, planning out your pitches to publishers, business deals. A lot of business deals happen behind closed doors, a lot of behind the scenes presentations. Like that, that's kind of the main value of E3 is just having a place for everyone to be could like reliably for one week. And I don't, I don't know if Summer Games Fest is at, at that level yet of how E3 used to do it. Not saying it, it, it's that's not impossible. I just don't know if it's there yet. Um, and I don't know if if, and even after all this time, like I don't know if even E three, as it would if it were to return, I don't know if it's even even able to achieve that same level of status as like E three used to have like like pre pandemic, right? So right. I don't know if it's like if there's even some like lost ground to, like make up if it were to return. Um, so the- did you go to the last E three before they closed it up? I think James went there, right? It when everyone just, got doxxed. It was just James, yes. Brian, and I. Yeah. Um. Uh, do they actually have like good like hands on over the event there? I mean, well, here's, I feel like here's the thing that uh, with E three that people don't talk about is that it really kind of died even before it actually died because E three as a show was never really meant to be open to the public. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the, 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 remember, like the like the the roots of E three was usually just only for industry people, media and industry people. It was never supposed to be like it, it did not start out as like a public facing event. Um, yeah, I will I will say that E three twenty nineteen you could kind of you could kind of tell the death knell was there, but I did get to interview Sven for mm-hmm. um Sven Vink for Baldur's Gate three, and that was kind of oh, yeah, fun. nice. So. Yeah, and and, and and I I guess that's where I where I'm circling back to is like remember Gamescom that just happened, and remember Gamescom was a place similar to E3 is like that is an event where you could reliably meet like uh, like expect people to show up and uh, they'll be there for a certain amount of days because of this Gamescom event. That is how Sven was able to talk with Phil Spencer directly on getting Baldur's Gate to Xbox and reaching a deal with Phil right there and then. And then so now it's like, yeah, it's coming to Xbox because I was able to meet with Phil and we were able to like hash out its remaining issues right then and there, you know? Um, because they were able to meet with each other directly through Gamescom. Right. That's uh, a thing that happened, you know? So that's the kind of kind of the real vibe. Not to say that like that is that is a deal that is very rare in which they were able to come to like an agreement and like announce it right then and there. That is very, very rare. That is not the that is not the standard. It only happened because Larian Studios is already developing an Xbox version way in advance. Also, hoping to to officially, like, you know, release something. Yeah, also, not just that. uh, Definitely the fact that uh, the reason that Microsoft budged was because, oh shit, this is 
possibly game of the year. We can't you can't just yep. hand this over to somebody as a as a console exclusive. Yeah. So you know. So that once again, that is an extremely rare deal of that nature. But it Gamescom helped facilitate that, you know. Um, and that's 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 kind of the effective nature of these sorts of like um in person big in person industry events. So that is that that is kind of the value of E3. Like I, I would like to see E3 return, if not just for that, I would like to see E3 return more on a smaller scale, like industry only event. That's basically just of... that's basically Summer Games Fest, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, not saying that it has to be at uh, Los Angeles. And I'm, but the, 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 I do like like I said earlier, I do wonder if E3 were to return like that, would it stop like the same levity as E3 before? Will it have will that brand power name be able to it's like attract like... people once again? I know it's kind of dead. a poisoned well. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, E3 2024 or 2025 are not canceled. There's just no plans. Yeah, There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll see. I don't know. But it's it's cool to see Summer Games Fest continue its level of success and continue to grow. I think a very big beneficial thing in the absence of E3, but also in growing just its own thing. Like it's, it, it, I, I, hope, I hope it continues to gain traction. And that covers us for this episode of the TetraCast. A very cool first time in a month that we've had all five people on the cast. So cool to catch up with y'all. Uh, and w- the the first of the busiest time of the year for us. So we'll meet back next week. We have a few releases that are coming up either next week or the week after. We've got some Pokemon DLC coming out soon. That snuck up on us. Um, we've got, of course, the uh, Bait and Kaitos remaster releasing in less than a week as at the time of recording. Uh, Legend of Naota, Lies of P, Wandering Sword, which is a game that we kind of previewed on the site, is coming out in not too long. Uh, big Cyberpunk refresh is uh, coming out at the end of the month, which some people are more excited for than others, but that could be a potentially surprising one. Uh, there's a lot coming out. So there's a lot to talk about coming up uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks. So there's I'm excited also to, rumors uh, of Nintendo Direct. The Nintendo Direct, uh, yeah. State of and play, whenever it was, <laughs> there were the, those are usually before before TGS. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, right. so maybe maybe the record state of play. Um, who knows? Um, oh yeah, there's uh, also there's also some talk earlier in the week that they, they that Nintendo was showing off a Switch Two behind closed doors at Cal- Cal- Gamescom, and some uh, yeah. websites have corroborated that. So you know, obviously the Switch Two speculation is off the charts once again uh, mm-hmm. because of that. And whenever we have a Nintendo Direct, there's always like. All right, guys, you know, here's four things we weren't expecting to talk about. Here we go. Uh, well, maybe we'll yeah. finally see uh, Dragon Quest 3 HD again. Yeah. Rumors about the Final Fantasy 7 remake being played on the Switch 2. That's one of good the PS5. It, depending on depending on your social media diet, there's rumors up and down and left and sideways and all over the place. So we'll, yeah. we'll, I'll, we'll see where it all shakes out. Yep, I, I heard Switch 2 runs Super Mario 64 at 120 FPS. That's what I wow, that's, that's, I that's, do that that's on the beta. That's, that's unprecedented. <laughs> that's, uh, they're really showcasing that power. Um, but, you know, thank you all so much for listening. We have all of the features uh, that we talked about, both from the, uh, the reviews put up by um, our contributors, as well as all of Josh's PAX West previews and interviews are all up on the site at rpgsite.net. Um, we also all the news posts from Josh and Adam and Josh Chu and James and all the rest are also up there. You can follow follow RPG site and all the social media platforms on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Uh, and you can listen to the Tetracast and your favorite podcast service. Please leave us a rating or a comment if you enjoy listening to us. We always love seeing those. Uh, and we'll be, we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast. So until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we will talk to you all later.